welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, James Bond has been drinking too much because he's depressed at the shit state the world's in. So I'm your <laughs> filling host, James Page from MI6. And this week, um, we finally got a Connery vote over the line after hey. how many attempts. Um, so uh, we are watching from Rush With Love this week with our panel. David can't make it this week, but filling in, no pun intended, is Mr. Phil Nobile Jr. So would you like to introduce yourselves, Phil, Calvin, Lisa, Bill, and Ben? Sure. This is Phil Nobile from Fangoria. This is Calvin Dyson. Uh, I run the Calvin Dyson YouTube channel on YouTube, uh, talking about all things Bond-related. Uh, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond with Klaus Dodds, editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And I have decided to drink apple juice with vodka uh, really? while we're it today. That sounds like a real kind of pandemic drink. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do, what I have. <laughs> do, you have. Do you have ice in it at least? <laughs> no, but the, the apple juice was cold. I didn't want it to water down. All right. Sure. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command, and I've been on YouTube this week revisiting James Bond losses in the Oscars, and I'm still trying to get over that outfit that Anne Margaret was wearing when uh, Living Like Die <laughs> lost the best song Oscar. <laughs> That's the best intro I think this podcast has ever had. Hi, I'm Ben Williams. I write for MI6HQ.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential. I'm joining Lisa with a uh, pandemic um, cocktail, which mine is uh, uh, Coke Zero and Peppermint Schnapps, because that's basically all we've got. (laughs) (laughs) And I made the mistake of... Uh, maybe going a little hard on the peppermint chats there. It is, it's a little bit like mouthwash, but uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. I'm drinking water. Are you guys okay? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> when you when you've done a few more of these, Bill, you'll uh, you'll that know it? that you'll need to. <laughs> <laughs> Top up. The good thing is, though, if we start like slurring our s's at the end of this, it'll fit in. Yeah, 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 yeah so. it will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, octopus. Uh, oh, of course, right. octopus. <laughs> hey, I tried for us recording that podcast. Just saying. In the late in the late nineties, I took my daughter to see a movie with Sean Connery. It was the one where he played the J.D. Salinger like author character. And uh, afterwards, she asked me, what's with the Eshes? And I said, well, it's a lot of the break. Finding Forest. It's like the My favorite artist is M.C. Escher. <laughs> You're the man now, dog. Uh, all right. Um, ben, you win the... Uh... Oh, in the <laughs> raw because you've got a Connery over the line, so I think, you know, Yay. props. And, um, yeah. So you know the rules. In three, two, one, play. <laughs> that was accompanied by some actual, because I, I kept my volume up for some reason. Um, that, that, of course, is the running joke on this podcast. But for those who actually saw the movie, 
uh, in the theater originally, they didn't have a corporate logo. I mean, obviously MGM didn't buy UA until 81, but there was no United Artists logo, no nothing. It's like you saw the trailers and you went straight to the gun barrel. Hmm. And and old timers like that. They they wish it was still like that. Hmm. Um, Briefly, uh, my first trip to, to Pinewood, I went into the gardens. Uh, I was completely on my own. Um, there was no security there or anything. Um, and I just had a wander around, um, where all of this is, is being shot right now. Uh, Spectrum it, it ended badly when somebody tried to grot you. <laughs> it did. Um, but what's interesting about it is, um, you know, the way that this is kind of, uh, put together makes it seem like there is a hedge maze there. There is not a hedge maze. This is just, um, uh, like a prop, a prop wall of a hedge that's being moved around to kind of create the illusion of a, of a maze, which I think they do very well. Hmm. And of course, now that uh, Disney leases Pinewood or controls Pinewood, um, probably uh, the security guy who had been tailing you with the garage would probably have been laid off by now. <laughs> That's right. This is this is one of the low key uh, exhibits in the James Bond theme park. <laughs> All ages. But no, I do think right. this as a way to introduce. I mean, this is sort of the second film. It starts with the image of James Bond, even though we know, surprise, it's not necessarily him. But it's supposed to sort of whet our appetites, like Bond is on a mission and what is going to happen. And then you see the success of Red Grant, who, by the way, looks like. Uh, Daniel Craig to me, and I'm probably going to bring mm-hmm. that up. Or at least in my mind, it keeps reminding me he's sort of, sort of the muscular uh, man. So it's an interesting way to see the evolution of James Bond from, say, someone like Sean Connery all the way to someone like Daniel Craig. So I really do like this as an introduction because it focuses in here on on the governance of Spectre and that they are a force to be reckoned with. Well, I'll tell you, I saw this movie for when for the first time when I was 13 as part of a double feature. And it's like, I didn't realize it was a double. So when he's getting grounded, like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> um, also, the, this is, of course, the first example we'll hear of John Barry's first Bond score. And Marvin Hamlish kind of semi-lifted it for a scene in The Spy Who Loved Me uh, when Bond and Anya are uh, tailing Jaws at the Egyptian ruins. And uh, there's a video out there on YouTube that you know compares the two. They play part of one and they play part of the other, and you can hear the similarities. For the statisticians, that, yeah. does that that person being an imposter mean that this is one of only two films where Bond doesn't wear a dinner jacket? Uh, three. Three. I can think of two. A Russia with Love, Live and Let Die, You Only Live Twice. Oh, I forgot uh, Live and Let Die. At, at the 1995 James Bond Convention in New York, I stumped the panel of Bond experts <laughs> with that question. <laughs> and one of them is he, just is tried he not to wearing a dinner jacket in that in that scene in that opening scene, or does that not count because it's, it's not, not it's that's a double? It's not it's technicality. It's, it's not Bond. It's not Bond. Yeah. And, guy with and a so mustache. one of the experts was then trying to dispute that, and I said, "Well, if it's Bond, it's a short movie then." <laughs> and then there was this, then there was this pause, and I heard somebody in the audience say, "Say, I think he got him." Just and give him like the t-shirt. The, and then like the, the moderator to break the silence said, you win. So I, so I start to come up and then he says, so now you win these 007 boxer shorts. I like stopped for a second. Uh, so I wasn't sure that's what I wanted. Oh. And then he said, are you mad enough for him? So of course I had to go up and grab him to, uh, with that taunt. 
I have another uh, history it. question for Bill. Is was this the first watch garot? Only yes. watch garot? Well, I guess you could say hey. technically, but of course, Lazenby, you know, has it in his office is among his mementos yeah. and uh, a view to a kill. It's a deleted scene, but right. they had the rod again. It was like in his effects at the Paris police station. Yeah. <laughs> but again, that's a deleted scene, so it doesn't really count. But do you mean feel like in cinema it. in general? In cinema, because I think it shows up. Is it maybe it's in Marathon Man? There's one. But this is the first time that that device has ever been. Hmm. I'm yeah, hard I, I to could, think of another, but I can't say for sure. It's fairly standard in watches these days <laughs> to have to have a garage. Um, well, of course, in Moonraker, it's actually a fuse rather than a garage, but that same kind of mechanism, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, But before we sort of shift away, before we shift away from the opening credits, I just wanted to sort of get your take on the opening credits because we see, you know, Doctor No had sort of flashing bulbs and maybe some dancers and silhouette, but this was really about like casting um, the credits onto the bodies, uh, semi-naked body of, of a woman or women dancing. Belly dancing is hard, by the way; <laughs> it's hard to move your body <laughs> in all those ways. Um, and it's really utilizing, you know, the body of a woman or women um, to sell James Bond. And that becomes, you know, this this element of, of the credit sequence. And so I'm just wondering if anyone has any thoughts on that before we start sort of shifting into the actual uh, film. Well, well, one thing, of course, this was the first of two titles done by Robert Brown, John. And he also did a title. It wasn't necessarily on someone's body, but it was kind of a similar effect it was a movie with David Niven and was based on a novel that George Lazenby has done an audiobook version of recently. Yeah. I'm drawing yeah. the blank on the title. Oh, Passport to Oblivion? Oblivion, yeah. So like the movie version of that has Robert Brown John titles as well. Um, I, I didn't see the whole thing, but I saw like the first half of it on TCM a few years ago. And yeah, the, the titles definitely reminded me of you know, his two Bond titles. Um, I think... Can uh, I quickly just point out here that this is, uh, Lisa, another Canada losing in a Bond movie. (laughs) (laughs) We should have a podcast about just Canada loses. (laughs) 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 Just go through all the ways that we're always presented as like being inferior or sucking in comparison to like a major like power. (laughs) Um, well, in, the, just, in the book, it was like, you know, this scene took place in Russia or in the Soviet Union, and it wasn't an international chess tournament. I guess, you know, with their decision to, you know, put Spectre into the plot, they, you know, p- changed the location of the chess match and made it an international chess match. Um, if anybody's watching a freeze, freeze frame, and it's actually a 10 by 8 grid on the floor, not an 8 by 8. Oops. We're going to see that more later, by the way, in the film. Also, Bill, um, in the novel, um, it's made clear that um, they, they berate him for um, winning, taking the time to win and not go directly to, to report right. to uh, uh, to Smirsch. Um, but he says it would have aroused suspicion 
it would have aroused suspicion if I hadn't gone right. uh, gone on, on to win. So I thought that was a clever kind of uh, little thing that they did there. I like that these uh, jump cuts of these fighting fish is sort of like a foreshadowing of the train fight later with the with the, mm. with the the way that Peter Hunt cuts, you know, doesn't cut to match. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good point. I heard that because um, I was listening to the Criterion commentary for this recently. Apparently, the fish just wouldn't fight. Uh, <laughs> obviously, they got these fish in, and so they would only sort of like come close to each other for like a second at a time. So yeah, it's a long so, day on set. Yeah, <laughs> well, he had to do an awful lot of inserts uh, for this, and obviously, the whole opening of this film was quite different. We're going to see in a few moments. There's like uh, shots of Lottie Lenya performing in front of back plates of herself like here for right. example yeah, yep. yeah to, um yeah, big, herself although she's not 100 yeah. successful yeah you looks. do notice uh, um okay, well, only because we... matches <laughs> i just realized yeah, the door matches and Hornstein is in front of a plate too there yeah. mm. because um, they had is... major troubles sort of conveying the plot and it mm. is one of the more complicated uh bond plots i must say and i for, for all the good that i think terence young is regarding character and casting and um personalities with actors and that kind of thing i think as a storyteller in film he he is somewhat lacking and i think peter hunt has to fill in a lot of the gaps that were left behind particularly mm. on this one they got there to collaborate with oh, yeah, yeah. medium. <laughs> Can I complain yeah, about Spectre the... real quick? <laughs> well, uh, the yeah. film, not the organization. I, w when I watched this the last time recently, it occurred to me that <clears throat> there's such a – they follow the Hitchcock rule of letting the audience know more than Bond, and I, 18 minutes of, of exposition that Bond isn't like filled in on. And I really miss that in the current films, that, that they'll set up the plot and that they're not – for whatever reason, the, the Mendez double feature, he just seems terrified to let the audience in on anything that Bond doesn't already know. You only Mendes, know what Bond knows. Mendez specifically said that. He said the audience should yeah, know yeah. more than the character does. I said, Sam, are you against From Russia with Love? <laughs> like, you know, the um, audience doesn't know everything, but they do know more than Bond knows. Yeah. Well, that's you how create you create suspense. that's how you create uh, suspense and tension, isn't it? You know, you've got sure. if the um, and I and I think you're you're absolutely right, Phil. To to that point, you Bond is pretty much in every scene. Um, this this is really kind of mirroring what happens in the novel, though, because we don't see yeah. Bond come into the novel yep. until much pages. much later on. So uh, you know, it's 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 Hitchcockian, but it's also Fleming esque. For uh, apologise for using that terminology. Oh, um, but, but I, always, um, I keep thinking how much more interesting it would have been if, say, Max Denby, if uh, Andrew Scott's character Inspector, if he when he leaves that meeting, if you instead followed him into a Spectre get together, and so and you knew from the beginning, and and then instead of just feeling like you're smarter than the film, the film gives you that information and, and lets that tension build because it's not any kind of surprise when it's finally revealed. Mm. Mm. And just, that's just um, it, isn't it? Because I think like sometimes like Thunderball, for example, is a Bond film that I think really falls down on the fact that we know where these damn bombs are and we just spend an hour and a half watching Bond sort of fumble around trying to find them. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, but, but then I think 
to, to your point, it is like, it, Inspector, we know that Andrew Scott's a bad guy, we know that Christoph Waltz is Blofeld, and so when those revelations come about, they're not a surprise. Whereas, from Russia with Love, I, th- I think it does handle it quite well that the audience knows more than Bond. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know if I can articulate exactly why it's been a long time since I've seen this <laughs> film, but I do agree, I do very much agree yeah. with you. And they just luxuriate just- in this colorful cast of villains they just spent 17 minutes just getting to know this weird adams family uh collection of specter <laughs> agents and it's just i don't know i just love it that it's not afraid to just you know take it slowly and luxuriate in these in these character moments mm. just uh, just to point out uh, it is just a very brief thing uh, where where grant is having his massage is where bond and uh pussy galore land um in That's goldfinger right. um from their, their parachute wow. jump also, yeah, this is they land on Spectre Island. Also, yeah, this is Patrick exactly who would later be General Gogol, but I think he's dubbed. It doesn't really sound like him to to my ear, but by Nicky mm-hmm. Van Der Zyl. That's why he sounds like any writer. I love seeing that, like the villains, just like you know, hopefully Bond have to be have to be trained and and like it really shows us that there is this villainous organization and so when we watch other films we don't have to think hmm how do these agents get trained we've seen it on screen and i also think it's interesting here this component with grant's body and we've talked uh on this podcast about having henchmen um and being a lot more muscular than James Bond, having their bodies be presented on display. And, and we see it here in this film. And I think one of my favorite parts, because I, I do like Rosa Klebb, is the part when she's going to punch him, like, and that she's there to test test him out. And so it is a question of, is he considered a human? Is he considered merchandise? How do we understand hench people? Some of us on, on Twitter always ask, like, how do you pay your hench people and how do you call them up? And, you know, where are their, mm. where's their sense of loyalty? And I like how, I mean, it's staying somewhat true to the, the novel and sort of showcasing or laying out that there is this broader organization laying the groundwork for us to open these questions. And sure. then yeah. subsequent well, films don't have to do that. And it's very true, the novel, in the sense of that bit with the brass knuckles and her hitting him in the stomach. That's straight from the book. Yeah. I just wanted yeah. to quickly point out, they don't use location title cards on, on this film. They just have an opening shot of the Basilica you know, and they assume the audience knows we're in Istanbul. They don't spell yeah. it out. There is, there is a home video version, though, of, of that scene we just saw with uh, Tatiana coming out of the consulate that had subtitles. I was like, I dislike this. Who who okay? <laughs> Did you remember me, what the subtitles said? It was like, oh, I've got to go to lunch. It was it was very mundane. I forget that. I forget the exact dialogue, but it was very mundane. It was like, what's the purpose of this? It's just <laughs> it's more exotic to hear him speak another language. Hmm. And you know, I mean, it was there was also a um, there was also a home video version that had subtitles for "You Only Live Twice" when Bond is in Tokyo being monitored by the geisha women or not your geisha is the right word but you know the women in native dress Hmm. who are following him and it's like i resent this this is like this is not the movie it's in the theater and two it's just it doesn't add anything Hmm. um quickly to the novel uh the the um the scene that we're seeing right now in the novel um is presented kind of quite differently um she meets her with a a negligee on um and uh it's it, you know it's a, it's a, a again a kind of a, a use of um 
kind of homosexuality to be a, a villainous trait. Um, it's kind of uh, hinted at in the film, but it's over in the um, in in the novel, and uh, it's just also, one of those things that kind of. If I remember the novel correctly, this sequence actually took place in the Soviet Union. Yeah, um, right. and it's like. And it's like you get a summons from Rosa Club, you can't go. And of course, Spectre isn't part of the plot of the novel, but um, so she gets it. She's trembling and very nervous. It's you know, um, so yeah. And, and so as a result of this meeting, she then is transferred to the consulate in Istanbul um, yeah. in the novel. But not before running out of Club's apartment, screaming like right. down the hallway. Like it really <laughs> does present um, the, this uh, proposition as being improper. Um, it works to vilify Rosa Club because of sexual orientation. And it's only, I'd say it's suggested in the film, but she's touching her leg. She caresses mm. her behind the back. She calls it a delightful duty. And it really does, it's something that I've thought of, like raises the question about the role of sex within spy culture um, and the fact that, you know, it is something that is expected. And so if it's part of your job, is it something that you can fully, fully consent to? Because in many, many ways, we see sort of a glamorized version in James Bond of, you know, Bond and, and women who are spies and it's all great. But you see here that it's kind of being like forced on her, like being asked, like, would you do it? Could you find him attractive? And if you don't do what I say, you will be shot. It really feels as though like it's it's being thrust upon her or forced upon her. And yeah. that makes it a little less sexy and glamorous because it, it raises the question of is she fully uh, consenting? And so I think there's a lot of interesting uh, nuggets that are being presented here, but it sets up at least in my mind, future films and the way that they start sort of addressing or just assuming that sex is going to be this pleasurable part of spy culture when it might not be that case for many people who are involved. And that's irrespective of your gender expression, irrespective of your sexual orientation. It's just considered part of your job. And I don't know how I feel about sex being part of of, of sort of the spy culture world. Well, very quickly to... Very sorry to to interrupt, but very quickly to that, um, Bond does say you don't uh, you don't think that gave me any pleasure, do you? In Thunderball, um, and he says it very seriously. It's not a kind of a joke, throwaway yeah. line. He he genuinely says, you know, I did it for for Queen and Country. Anyway, although, Bill, although most audiences I was with in the theater took it as a laugh line. Yes, hmm. exactly. But he doesn't deliver it in that way. No, you know, no he doesn't. Not at all. Yeah. It's the one and only Bentley. Yeah. Mm. He's been to Carphone Warehouse. I'm starving. <laughs> nice. Whilst we're on the um, Daniela Bianchi thing, um, there was actually a Yugoslavian actress who was up for the role, and um, she lost it. Um, Silva, and I'm going to butcher this, I think it's pronounced Kashini, Kashina. Anyway, um, she also went up for Domino in Thunderbolt and lost it. So oh. there's a two, there's an actress out there who missed it narrowly twice. Can I relay like a personal thing that's not true, but I'm going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Name is we just lying now, Lisa? I don't know if it's true or not. So her last name is Bianchi. She's Italian. My mom's last name, her maiden name is Bianchi and she's Italian. Now there's a lot of Bianchis who are in Italy and who live in many countries worldwide, but I feel as though in my in in my blood that somehow we might be like seventh cousins or something like that. I have no proof of at all, but I might have a bond blood connection. 
It's like all those people call themselves broco- Broccoli and oh. can claim uh, <laughs> distant relations to uh, hmm. the producer. We just wow. saw the last scene with uh, Sylvia Trench and are about to see the first scene with the Desmond Llewellyn version of Q. Um, yeah, he was hiding there in the corner of Money Penny's uh, office there. Yeah. He looks so good in that suit. My God, when he stands up, he just looks he just looks like a long a long triangle. It's just well, he, doesn't, well, he doesn't have a full hair piece. I think he does have some kind of hair supplement. I don't like know a fall enough. or something happening there, yeah. I don't I don't know enough about the mechanics of hair supplements, but because uh, I've but anyway, you know, but there's a website or there used to be a website about all of William Shatner's toupees and he had names. <laughs> And it's like, I'm surprised nobody has done one for Connery and like you know, it had names for the different styles of uh, the different species. Well, I think yeah. that there's a, there's, a shame, there's a shaming element with Shatner and Connery kind of doesn't care that you know that he doesn't have hair. Oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, one, one name he had was uh, for Shatner. That website was Jim Kirk Lace, his <laughs> style of hair piece for the 60s. But there you go. Anyway, enough about that. But. You just missed your hand insert, Bill. Oh, no. Uh, well, it's coming up. It's coming up yeah. here when he gives the photo to back to money pay. Oh, okay. So that so that insert that was that insert Connery's I, hand, or was that also Young's? I, I don't. Hand? It could have been. It could have been Young, but I know the next one is, is definitely. <laughs> Just see that you do. So so M is giving him similar instructions that uh, that Rosa Kleb gave to uh, Tatiana. That's right. Yeah. They're both being pimped out by their governments. Anybody mm. can do a Welsh accent. We could recreate the scene as it was originally intended. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? Oh, Desmond Llewellyn wanted to play Q as a Welshman. Oh, no way. Oh. I never knew yeah. that. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that would be Chris here, boyo. And, uh, yeah. Oh, That's um, a janky finger now. Oof. Uh, that is um, not Terence Young's hand. <laughs> Yeah, I'm assuming Desmond Llewellyn did his own uh, hand in the I'm available. Uh, I, if I he's shaking, any, it's any it's I <laughs> we don't know if how we'll have to do a comparison between him and Dalton, or maybe not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, actually, Desmond Llewellyn's fingers are very thick. Like they, yeah. they do look like yeah, they've been, had More sort like of extra layers things. of skin built up from copious cigarette smoking throughout the years. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, he he does tend to shake quite a lot. Um, for yeah. for somebody who's required to do a lot of hand close ups, it's uh, his fingertips are literally yellow. <laughs> this is disgusting. I've never noticed this before. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a nothing part, our isn't it? Of our podcast. You, you, you missed our discussion about Timothy Dalton uh, a few. Oh podcasts no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we yeah. won't go into that here. And I've never thought about hair until being on this podcast. Like I just don't notice it. Um, and, and, but hair does play like a key role in our understanding socially and culturally and problematically. So of notions of say youthfulness, vigor, vitality. Sure. And so I find it very interesting when you raise all these issues because I don't notice it. It's just something that I don't notice. And I don't know if it's cause I'm a woman that I don't notice it. Um, or I don't have that type of pressure. I do have pressure to have hair in a different kind of way. Um, but, mm. but I don't have sort of the same sort of stresses. So I might not be cognizant of it. 
So I, I do find it interesting, our focus in on like hair and hands um, and all these other parts, because oftentimes we just sort of get, you know, held up on, say, the overall body or, or physique or shape. And there are these other elements that do help to define this notion of masculinity or heroic masculinity in the film. The Terrence Young insert shots coming up here. Um, you know what? I, in terms of this particular film, I only saw this in, say, like the last oh, seven to eight years. It was a publicity still of Connery and Donelia Bianchi. But he was like, his hair is not like in the movie. It's like he had a big comb over going. So it's like Ooh. he was already losing his hair. Oh, here's the hit. Here, here they are. That's Terrence Young. Terrence Young. <laughs> Terrence Young is James Bond. Which, uh, which, which, whose whose hands is Terrence Young's hands? Is, does he double the Money Penny's hands as well? <laughs> who's doubling Money Penny's hands? <laughs> Nikki Van <laughs> and, apparently, and apparently Bond caught a direct uh, flight to Istanbul because in the novel, it took him like four connections or whatever it was. Yeah, he wasn't very happy either when he arrived, if I recall. Um, oh, God. This, oh, and of course, just, this is staged similar to the arrival in Dr. No, but not quite. Yeah. They change it up a bit, but it's... Mm. But like when you see that double feature and you see those two films back to back, oh, this is like so similar. This is... <laughs> Again, you know, you have Bond's sort of suspicion of this driver now because he's already had the suspicion of his his previous um, yeah, driver, and they back. and it's kind of and it's kind mm. of a neat twist to suddenly make him a very likable chap. Yeah, um, right. And you can see, he, and you can see Bond well. kind of visibly relax. Where Jack Lord was watching him, now you've got Red Grant watching him. Yeah, yeah. and of course, I this do like the way that they they have Grant surveil throughout the the film um you know with he was yeah. there with uh, tatiana he's there now he's so in the implication is that he's so good that nobody spots him yeah um, and, and and they apparently got the idea when they were like rewriting the script in the middle of filming like when they're getting right. to go down to istanbul yeah they first oh yeah apparently didn't didn't one of didn't some child watching a um oh that's coming up that's oh, coming up. Like that guy's yeah. dead already. <laughs> yeah. Um, Last so time I watched this, back. I actually tried it from the perspective of Red Grant and actually enjoyed it more. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, no, it's just um, I, it becomes a more interesting film if you're actually on the side of the baddies. <laughs> well, again, this comes down to like good, good narrative, good story. You you shouldn't make your. Um, antagonists just bad for the sake of being bad you, you in order to believe in them you've got to believe that they, what they are doing is they believe what they're doing is right uh, you should be able to switch perspectives you know if you watch die hard you should be able to um you know root for hans gruber <laughs> <laughs> doesn't craig ride a motorcycle through this isn't this the same yep market? yeah yeah i've not been oh. Not so anyway, we're about to uh, we're about to meet Karen Bay for the first time, and this, of course, was the last uh, film with uh, Pedro Armendariz, who had terminal cancer, and uh, and it uh, there was some thought to replacing him when they found out, but he uh, implored the producers to let him finish, and it took some uh, took some doing, but uh, you know he was able to finish, and then. He committed suicide rather than, uh, um, you know, succumb to cancer, um, which 
there's more about this. I'll wait till after the movie's over and talk about was, that. But uh, yeah, I always find that a bit odd. He has a photo of Winston Churchill on his desk. He's an Anglophile. He works for the British government. <laughs> um, I will say that he is perhaps my favourite Bond ally. Um, he's so kind of instantly kind of avuncular and affable and likable. It's very very hard not to. And I know Calvin. Uh, you often say that this sort of stuff kind of plays to the the back of the audience, but um, uh, you know, I think he's he's just, he is just a, a very likable guy. And it, you know, Fleming at least Fleming wasn't great at writing uh, certain characters, but one thing he could do is really inject warmth into into Bond's allies. That's right. He had he had a dry handshake that uh, that that made him that that raised his esti- Bond's estimation of him. Well, I'm I think about the novel. There's uh, something though to be said. I like Karimbe in the film, and I find her to be immediately likable. But in the novel, there is the passage where Bay talks about um, a woman that he won, and that he stripped her down, chained her to a table. Uh, you know, uh, a better scraps of food and sort of like trained her in order to be sort of this domesticated woman. And when his, his mother tried to let her go, the woman stayed with him. And there's the same thing um, with uh, Draco uh, in um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, a similar type of story. And Bond expresses yeah. such warmth and affection for these men. And, and I don't know if it's me just being a woman, but I read that and in the novels, I find difficulty then sort of elevating these men in high regard when you hear about, yeah. like, I don't know, kidnapping, forced imprisonment, sexual violence, things like that, and being like, this is some guy that I feel a lot of affection. And and when I see him in, 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 in the films, and I do... I remember the novels, but I kind of separate the two. I try to as well. I do find I'm a lot warmer to him uh, in the films uh, just because that aspect isn't something that is forwarded and described because I don't think that would play well with audiences if that was sort of the narrative and the story. No, God, and then Bob would be no. like, I love this man. And it's like, but I don't, um, <laughs> you know? And I, so I just wanted to sort of highlight that there is a bit of uh, history there in terms of like the novel series that just yeah. has never fully sat well with me. Yeah. Literary Bond he had a He does a dry handshake though. So. He has a dry <laughs> handshake though. <laughs> Not, but the, the description of the alternative is a little racist. We won't get into it here. Um, and oh, and here's this very subtle listening device. It's like it's, <laughs> no, it's 1960s technology. I get it. That was Bob Simmons great. in the back of the car that Red Grant was talking. Bigger than the one I'm using now. <laughs> but it's interesting is, again bond going through checking his hotel room in modern yeah. films we don't see that but like you'd think like a spy would go through his room and like part of me is like should i go through my house like maybe there's a bug comedy movie that did a takeoff on this general riff the guy keeps looking for mics and first they're like Kind of small, and yes. gradually bigger. <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. Guy hunched down with a boom with mic. a shotgun. Yeah, with a shotgun. Like <laughs> it, was, uh, it was the Bruce Lee spoof in Kentucky Fried Movie, right? Yeah, I, yeah. that's it. Yeah, I wasn't sure, but I you're right. The, the modern equivalent uh, is when you get an Airbnb, you have to look for hidden cameras, yeah. <laughs> or like a guy living in the walls, <laughs> the dead Ronald Roms <laughs> type situation. Um. So this of this this um, 
this actually happens in the in the novel as well. Um, the the whole kind of, obviously the conceit here is that he he's found the bugs and wants to move move to a better room uh, without bugs, but then doesn't check that room. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like well, the other room's going to be fine. Um, well, it's possible he might have off screen, but he didn't bother to check to see whether it was a one way mirror or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mirror, yeah. Studio yeah. through the mirror. I just mentioned, I think there's more shots of people putting, taking on and off leather gloves in this film than in Skyfall. (laughs) (laughs) That's because they didn't have CGI for this film. Mm -hmm. So I guess these are all the, the, uh, the pickups, the kind of the inserts they did later when they wanted to have Grant on location more. I mean, it it works. I think it genuinely works. It, it creates a lot more um, tension and um, you parallels. You can tell this is a different era. Though. It's like several seconds of just that establishing shot. You can hear in the distance some guy singing. Um, um, I just want to say very quickly, people say that uh, Karim Bey's first name is uh, Ali. It, it's not. Uh, what she is saying is um, sort of, Come like it's like come here or um, yeah she's beckoning you know, she's beckoning it's not it's not his first name <laughs> sometimes we're um, getting it wrong yeah a lot of people a lot this of course is huh? Nadja Regan who uh, if I'm, I may be mispronouncing that who died was it last year oh she's also yeah. an old finger yeah. was it a limpet mine <laughs> uh, attached to the wall. <laughs> Is she the dancer in Goldfinger at the beginning? Yes. Yes. Ah. Huh. See, Karim should be able to see Sean Connery approaching in her eye. Sometimes he's not looking in her eye. That's the... Uh, I was just relaxing over, over, as luck would have it. That's one of my, my favorite lines. It's just yeah. that as luck was happening. Uh, I was relaxing over by here. It's just this um, purple bomb nice... off. There it goes. Yeah, they did. They did that purple flash effect quite a lot in these uh, Connery movies, um, hmm. and you particularly see it in "You Only Live Twice." Yeah, it's <laughs> great. I love it. You've got Technicolor, use it. <laughs> yeah, I love the way he folds up his um, pocket square as well. It's. Uh, I know it's a small thing, but uh, it's just very, very deftly done, um, and looks. And he manages to get. If anyone's played around with their pocket square, trying to get it looking great, uh, this this will just show you. It's uh, yeah, just do it like that. There you go. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and just perfect little pocket square. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's, so that's what you use your pocket square for. If anyone ever asks, it is to dust down uh, debris uh, after <laughs> a limpet mine explosion. I do like the use of of water in this film, and like James Bond is a naval commander, and then you have sort of the the scope that's going to be shown, and that sort of then uh. ties into Spectre with it had with the with the fighting fish and having an octopus as being you know its 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 element or its logo, and I always find the use of water and animals to just be 
an interesting factor that is, at least in a lot of the early Bond films, really put forward. Um, and it's something that I don't know if it, I don't know if it is as pronounced, I need to think about that, as pronounced later, later on, or even in the Craig era. Um, I sometimes forget that he was a naval commander and you don't really get that sense in the Craig era films. Mm. One thing that I, I really like we've just seen is when Karim throws the flashlight to Bond, uh, he's not really looking. He just kind of holds his hand out sideways and it kind of almost like the force yes. goes like goes into his hand. People ask me often what my favorite Bond moments are. That's actually <laughs> one of them um, because, because it's just so effortless, effortless and he just makes it seem like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't even need to look to catch something that somebody's sure. throwing at me. Fun fact: this this peris this periscope is made out of wood. It is, yeah. But uh, yeah, it looks yeah, real, doesn't it? Was, it? Uh, it was uh, the the um, uh, production design team had to kind of basically uh, look at um, uh, a real periscope, take some take some photographs, and do some sketches, and then build it um, in that location. Mm. The um the cisterns, by the way, that they just uh, the system that they just sort of got on the boat um and rode through for a little bit is now like a proper tourist attraction in Istanbul. I went there a few years ago. It's not too far from the Hagia Sophia actually, and it's it's quite beautifully lit. It's quite um dramatic now. It's not this uh, sort of very dark and uh, dingy place like what it is here. Hmm. Mm. Put it on the list. Hmm. Um, cocktail cuff. Um. Oh. In the uh, on on the shirt there, very prominent. Um, I remember I mean, a- maybe the single best suit that he's ever worn, right here. Oh, this, one, this one's my Phil. favorite. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. I think he looks absolutely. This is this is one of my favorite outfits uh, for Connery. The the pale blue, um, conduit, Prince of uh, Wales. Uh, 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 yeah, the Prince of Wales conduit cut and the and the the pale blue kind of um, cocktail cuff shirt. Um, and the grenadine tie it's he just looks as bond as he's ever gonna look really i think um uh, it's perfect yeah now this is not Elaborate. these aren't daniela bianchi's legs are they um no. i was listening Prove to it. terence young on the commentary and he was not impressed with daniela bianchi's legs so this is somebody else <laughs> what? Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah oh, uh, oh so in, in other words the four year eyes only poster carried on a tradition then <laughs> yeah those weren't your that's, legs. Either. That's that's the new double header. It's not not your legs. Double bill. <laughs> Terence Young in that Terence Young in that Criterion commentary is really like he's talking about like earlier on when we saw Robert Shaw get up just before Rosa Club punches him in the stomach and he's just like a real like specimen of a man like he looks like built and Terence Young's just mm. like oh we had to send him he was fat we had to send him to the gym for for two weeks to get into shape for this and with Connery at a couple of points he's like saying like oh yeah he's holding in his stomach here because the first one was successful so he was living a better life now and yes. it's just like whoa <clears throat> that's right was eating three meals a day. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to get some uh, body double long shots coming up, and I think Bill's going to uh, point those out for us. Um, I, I, I believe it's uh, in some of these shots here, right, yes, right Bill? At, at the gypsy camp coming up. Yes. Well, the background, of course, was, as we mentioned before, as I mentioned before, uh, Pedro Armendariz had, had terminal cancer and was not really able to do oh there he is there's terence that was terence there he is <laughs> interesting 
because his hair is like more gray than Pedro's. Is. He looks and about thirty pounds lighter as well. Yeah. So, so this uh, this is obviously a, a, a set as well on the on the Pinewood backlot. This is uh, for for inf- for people who are interested. This is roughly the location of Goldfinger's Manor. Hmm. Um, uh, on the back lot. <laughs> little but, boring piece of information, but there we go. Uh, obviously, that's fine. Pine, pine boring. Anyway, in, in uh, the shots with, with Pedro, apparently they're like propping him up a lot of the mm, time. Oh Not boy. necessarily this specific shot, but um, I mean, it was, I mean, he was really, really in bad shape. And uh, so what they, they altered the shooting schedule basically to compress all of Pedro Armendari's work into like about two weeks once they discovered the cancer diagnosis and uh, uh yeah and I believe yeah. this is the same dancer as the main titles ah interesting Leela or L-E-I-L-A I think oh I forgot to mention this they misspelled Martin Beswick's name in the yeah. main titles mm-hmm. Martin oh. Martin um she also did change her name a couple of times um he uh, comes and goes off the last name, right? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to briefly mention that uh, um, I did chat last night to Martin Beswick because uh, we were going to be doing this, um, doing this particular film, and um, she sends her regards to all of the listeners. Um, oh. So that's a nice little little thing to, to kind of throw in there. Um, I have to say, she's uh, one of my. Um, Favorite actress who's uh, who's been a Bond girl. She's uh, it's an extremely lovely woman. Um, anyway, just sort of throw that in there. <laughs> 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 so <I'm> just, <laughs> just adding sound effects. In. That turned out really well on my uh, screen as well. Well done for that. <laughs> I'm a second behind, but that's all right. Um, I just want to highlight uh, before it happens. Um, and, and and the interesting quote-unquote cat fight that happens, if you listen carefully, those of you who are watching from home and kind of listening to it, they actually, like, bring out their uh, fingernails, they hiss, and yeah. uh, they actually, like, kind of make, like, cat-like sounds. And so I think that that's and, – and they take off a lot of their clothes in order to fight. And so it's, it's coming up, don't worry. Um, but just wanted to highlight, like, it is literally presented very animalistically as being a cat fight. That's okay. Mm-hmm. They were fighting naked in the novel. Um, mm-hmm. They got clothes on this one. Yeah. <laughs> as, close, as close as they could in 1963. Yeah, what um, I'd love to have asked Martine was actually, because in, in one of the commonly repeated bits of trivia about this movie is that apparently there was a bit of real-life agency to this fight. Oh. Because <laughs> yeah. apparently mm. Young was enamored by Martine and didn't really like the other girls, so they had a bit of a fight, apparently. Um, also, um, there she is. Um, he promised uh, he, he promised Martine a, a, a role later on in, in another uh, Bond movie, and uh, lo and behold, he uh, was true to his um, true to his word. Well, that's I, okay. Leisha Gurr ended up in an episode of The Man from Uncle. Sorry, James. Uh, I, won't, I won't go into any more detail about that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, did he say um, the secret word? Is that what happened? <laughs> That's right. 
Uh, I'm under orders to keep uh, references to uh, non-bond. I'm going to get you to talk about the rifleman for 10 minutes before this is over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's a a, a British comedian called Bill Bailey. I'm sure many of you are familiar familiar with him. He does a sketch uh, where he talks about this particular fight. And he says, we will settle this the gypsy way. (laughs) and it goes on for about it's a ten minute kind of like sketch that uh, I really like, but it always it always makes me laugh because the way he talks about it. Um, mm. As somebody who is descended from Roma, <laughs> I have to say that um, you know some of the uh, some of the stereotypes here are, are a little unsettling. Mm. Um, um, you know, my grandfather uh, was a horse trader, and we had a caravan. Um, so this is kind of like. Uh, it was it was kind of strange to watch it as a kid um, to see this sort of representation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's terribly <clears throat> flattering. Cons- consistently across the films, they sort of do a a sort of a vanilla version of what Fleming put on the page, so that it's it's still fetishizing it and it's still you know like getting this exotic thrill out of it. But it, it it's it's it doesn't have the gosh, what is the word I'm looking for? It doesn't have the the sort of uh, just open disdain that you sort of feel sometimes in Fleming's words yeah. from some of these uh, cultures that he's so fascinated by. Mm-hmm. Right, coming up here, I about to say coming up here, um, you can see Terrence Young. You know, okay, Pedro is at the table, and now we have you know Terrence Young firing the gun. Mind. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny going back and forth between Pedro and Terrence. I've never because really loved this there whole. Was no way, there was no way Pedro could like lift a table uh, up. That's right, right, my right. favorite bit. Where you put that blood, that blood pat into his arm, just so it literally yeah. rubbed it in there. Just like, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I've never really loved this whole like the, 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 so fire with the other the other hand. So agents are trained to fire with either hand. This whole this gypsy camp sequence of- is kind of the whole story does kind of come to a standstill for about 10 minutes, which is, I think, yeah. why I've never quite connected with it. It feels like the, the whole gypsy fight and the preamble before that. I get that in Fleming, it was all about, you know, you're trying to show what, you know, his perception of a different culture and all that yeah. kind of stuff Travel in the film. Game. I think, yeah, well, I, I, I think you completely I- lose that in the film where it's just like, I want to just carry on with the story, actually. I like this action sequence that we're watching now, but all the preamble up to this is just kind of... It it, it plays it, really oddly now at a time where I would be surprised if many people watching were, you know, titillated by it, as I believe the intention is. Fleming is not the traditional thriller writer in the sense that, you know, his stories aren't that tightly plotted, and it's kind of like he he's so interested in food and so interested in culture. Mm-hmm. He kind of goes off and not quite tangents, but he like, you can tell that's what he's really into, mm. especially meals and the liquor. But, mm. uh, <clears throat> have we seen Bond, have we seen Bond reload yet? Cause he's, no. no. You know. um, I would also just say, this is, um, <laughs> this is a bit like um, the underwater fight in Thunderball in the way in which Bond kind of moves through separately to the other fighters Right. He is able to utilize the things around him in order to kind of win. You know, he tips over a table or he uses a, a, a knife that's been thrown at him to collapse a tent in the same way that they do in the, in the Thunderbolt underwater scene. Uh, it, it benefits from being a lot shorter um, than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
this is oh, the, this, David were here to hear you say that I would like to hear a, <laughs> I would like to hear an opposing viewpoint but go ahead um, I'm sorry just a I joke. was also I was also going to say that um, God Phil might back me up on this but um, I remember as a kid when Bond takes his jacket off and his shirt's got a very defined crease down the the, the sleeve I was like you're not supposed to iron creases into your sleeves um and and it kind of you know broke broke me for uh for, for a little bit on, on bond being this uh, satirical kind of like running the this bottom button of a suit in dr no the, the, yeah, the, pack, the package just arrived from turnbull and Nasser that morning that's probably what happened <laughs> that must be what it moment? is yeah that crease yeah right you've there. got these you, You've got these, these these sharp creases down the sleeves, and I'm just yeah, like, no, that's not. not. You, <laughs> you just took it out of the cellophane uh, that morning. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I I know that that's uh, probably something that is for a very small portion of our audience. Bottom button goes off laughing lecherously while the threesome is about to commence. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that one horse, that white horse, looks a little out of shape. Must be about twenty five years all these, old. We buried all these guys it, last that, night. That, but don't worry that, about it. That horse <laughs> had a really good movie a year previous, and just put on a, put on the weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this whole sequence really has stopped the movie pretty much dead, hasn't it? Like, I mean, it's, it's like, what's, what's the, what are you gaining there? You're, that's where you're really seeing that Red Grant is like his weird guardian angel keeping him alive. Yeah. Yeah, that's the long, yeah. long way to go. <laughs> but, but you could have done that like in, in a minute and a half. Sure. Oh, okay. Um, All right. So here we're coming up to Call Me Buona because, of course, in the yeah. novel, it was a movie called Niagara, which was released by 20th Century Fox, but there was no way United Artists was going to let, by that point, a decade old. <laughs> Get put into their movie. Sure, it is a good movie, and by so, the way. I'm just going to interject there. I think it's really nice. I, Marilyn Monroe, yeah. Joseph Cotton, good thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, um, and so and instead, also, so the uh, Productions movie. So yeah, um, and yeah. and we have yeah, Call Me Buona, which is not a good movie. And <laughs> no. oh, have you seen it? I have seen it. I've oh. seen it on TV. It's oh. not very good. It's it's oh. weird. It's, uh, it's like a mix between a Bob Hope variety special in a James Bond movie in the sense of like the camera movements, even though it's not a James Bond director, it has huh. kind of a look of a Bond movie, but you know, got Bob Hope telling his corny jokes. And- <laughs> uh, Phil, Phil, who is Anita Ekberg's husband? Rick Van Nutter. That's right. So oh. that's how, uh, that's how actually uh, Rick got uh, the job, right? The part. In Thunderball, huh. yeah. yeah. And also, you see Broccoli and Saltzman's names in the, uh, I think, the upper left corner of the. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But I really love the poster and the way that it's being used here with sort of the mouth. And I think it's probably the one image that I remember. Um, like when I think about this film and watching it as a kid, this is one of those components where it just, it, it works so well. And so even if the film itself is kind of crummy, I think maybe his legacy is a great poster that can be inserted into this well, film. And I like how right. Bond switches here with Karim as well. He could easily take the shot, um, 
but he but he hands it over and there's a lot of friendship mm. and trust that comes in in sort of giving that the gun over so the, the title of the chapter in the novel was the mouth of marilyn monroe right. so mm. i don't know if this was an actual poster they had for call me buona or if they just kind of made it yeah, made it, yeah. so here, here's another double bill for you lisa if you watch along it's mm. this listen moonraker films where characters die in the mouths of posters people and posters <laughs> oh, yeah. there you go it's huh. i'll be asking people i'm like what is the common denominator they'll be like we have no idea <laughs> uh, should have kept the mouth shut <laughs> it's a great sequence and, that, though it's just like really suspenseful very well lit well shot it's it's so and, nicely done and, and Barry is like really doing it, working the music very well. As mm. in addition, because I think uh, had he scored like one movie before this, Beat Girl. Am I? I'm not a John Barry expert the way some people are, but um, I know he had yeah. scored one film before this. Because it was really more of a, uh, him being a, a, a performer with his band than uh, Coffee Very Black. <laughs> very oh, black, and, just yeah, no blacker younger, than that. No black. <laughs> very black. Yeah, I um, remember somebody writing about this scene says Bond orders a very appetizing. You can tell they're being sarcastic. Breakfast. Um, he turns the he turns the water on in the bathroom here, and it just looks like it would flay the skin off you. That's right. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and not, oh my god! Wow. Oh my god! <laughs> I've never noticed that. And not only that, he just leaves it running. He just leaves that that running, you know, and then you know and then goes off and has sex with with he's Tanya. an orphan. Nobody yelled at him about this stuff when he was a kid. <laughs> just that that whole co- hotel, the Crystal Palace, which is the name of the hotel, by the way, um, yeah. is going to it's going to collapse because Bond left the tap running. Apparently, Kincaid didn't know anything about how to take a bath. Uh, or the break temperature. <laughs> He's just doing it by trial and error all these years Coffee, later. Coffee, very black. Bath, very hot. <laughs> you know, um, they're, pro- they're probably using like, oh, what's it called? It's probably like ice. It's a, yeah. I think it's a smoke machine in back, yeah. back or something, isn't it? Because so they, they, they foleyed in the sound of the water. So yeah. we all know uh, very – I'm sure we all know that this is the scene that uh, everybody uses to audition for Bond. Right. Um, the and there's – there's there's quite a few um, screen tests out there on YouTube for, for people who haven't seen them. I think Josh Brolin's is out there. Um, I James think James. Uh, oh, sorry, James Brolin. Sorry, <laughs> that would have been a very James, different. That would have been a very different. Maude Adams in the, in her uh, role. Yeah, and uh, I think Sam Neill's is out there. Um, and there was a a still a still in um, the Casino Royale. Um, well, apparently we're going to get to see look, it in November. So. Yeah, Tashin book. But we did see, yeah, we did see it. We did see a still of, of uh, Daniel Craig's uh, audition doing this scene, mm. uh, in which he looks. At the time, I think a lot of people were saying that he wasn't particularly. You know, they said that he looked quite thin and that he had to bulk up for uh, the part. Um, but that screen test sh- shot shows that he was actually in pretty good shape, even at the time. About about yeah. Separate from James Brolin, Maud Adams did 
uh, this screen test with another actor. I don't know who the actor is, but I've seen enough of the clip. You, you can't see the guy's face because it's kind of an over the shoulder shot while she's in the bed. So she did more than one of these screen tests mm. in the Tatiana role. I believe that, um, you know, it's, it's been a traditional kind of screen test later, scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, just what she confided in me when we had our long conversation. Yeah. And um, Robert, Dar- Robert Darvey played Bond for the License to Kill Bond Girls screen test with this wow. scene. Yeah. And apparently he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Okay, if you say so. Although I do find it interesting that, that the screen test, you know, specifically say here for women is about sort of like the lovemaking test. I do find that just to be an interesting component because sex and sexuality define Bond and the world of Bond in a very clear way. But it does less so in the Daniel Craig era. So I just I I don't know. I find it just a fascinating tidbit that I need to chew on for a while. Um, but that's yeah. like a key component, and I'm going to write down a note to myself to chew on this. Right. I'm, I'm going to get I'm going to get some brickbats, but I'm going to say I actually like the way Dino the Day did that better with the the, the Chinese operative smoking behind the glass, yeah. and, the, and the pervy sweaty guy, which they had to cut out of this well, for the well, British censors. I was about to say Rosa Klebb is like really working that cigarette, so I mm. think she was enjoying a good time. <laughs> One of the few times Bond ever wears sunglasses. Uh, here. And it's inside um, a dark building. <laughs> it's, um, the, only, the only other That's time Sean Connery wears um, sunglasses is, is in Thunderball, and he does it to mask what appears to be a, um, an emotional moment um, so he doesn't That's have right. to look Domino in the eyes. Um, but, um, yeah, he, he basically rarely ever wears uh, sunglasses, unlike um, Daniel Craig, who can't seem to get enough of them. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's where the Rick Van Nutter version of Lighter got the idea in Thunderball, where he's wearing sunglasses at night at the casino. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's not suspicious at all. <laughs> so th- this is the guy that was going to be killed by... Uh, no, he's going to be in the car uh, yeah. pileup. And he gets killed here, so they had to cut it so out. So they had to change the insert, yeah, to, to yeah. be like, didn't he die already earlier? Yeah. Right, and apparently they spent a number of takes on it as well, because I think the idea was um, Karen would come up from behind and have a fender bender, and then That's the guy, right, you yeah. know, which, which meant he couldn't follow Bond, the guy couldn't follow Bond anymore, and he gets out of the car, and here comes Karen, he's got the cigarette and the cigarette holder, and it was like, flicking the ash at just the right moment and uh mm. such is life i think was the punchline and mm. you know just trying to make sure that he had enough ash <laughs> to flick mm. at that line and they you know spent all this time filming it and then oh we're gonna have to take it out sorry pedro and supposedly pedro then said well such is life you know repeating the <laughs> line <laughs> oh i like that that's a nice story this is what I mean about Terence Young, text- though. Like he talks about Lots. that, and it's like, yeah, as as like a director, do you not? Did you not realize that the character had died? Did you not? <laughs> I mean, the the title at that time was Continuity Girl. It's like that's yeah. what they're supposed to do is keep track of this stuff. Well, and I say, don't know. I I still think the director should keep track well, I'm, of I'm, supporting I'm, characters' fate. I, I'm not disputing what you're saying, but it's like, yeah, it's like. Uh, uh, Mr. Director, uh, 
It's a, it's a very nice <laughs> well, cut there you from could, the map. You to could the map. argue the same thing about um, about Skyfall's gloves. I mean, surely that should have been picked up <laughs> earlier, but but wasn't. Good point. Mm. And just to echo your point, I did like the map to the map cut there. From mm-hmm. like the written map to like the visual map. Again, I love maps and globes and a whole bunch of stuff, but um, I, I love this visualization. Mm. I like the fact that um, this guy has basically, they've passed on this bit of information, but they already had this information. This is just to ascertain that she is on the level. The, the veracity of it, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh, that's great. So that's oh, the end of okay. my version. In this scene, now a friend of mine once put it to me this way, the biggest difference between From Russia With Love, the novel, and From Russia With Love, the movie, is in the novel, Bond says to Karim, he's afraid he's actually falling for Tatiana. Whereupon in this scene, they both share a lecherous laugh. Is that all? Is that all you want? <laughs> and then they both start laughing <laughs> for like half a minute. Yeah. Well, Fleming Bond always falls for the girl. Yeah. Legitimately. Well. (laughs) Which offers a counter to the narrative that, like, women are the ones when they have sex are the ones to fall in love and become clingy and all of that stuff. Whereas, you know, I think many different people can have sex with many different people and become attached or not attached. But Bond is certainly somebody who he, like he catches feelings for, for, for various women across the movies. And I think, yeah, I'd like to think that that means that these women then mean something more to him, that they're more than just, you know, um, pieces of information or, or access to places and spaces, but that there's something about their personhood that's really valuable here. And so maybe through his, his, his feelings, he's, he sort of validates it in another way, like their place in these films. On social media, there's a guy, he did it once in 2018 and he's now going through again, having, he started with Twitter only, and now he's done Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, you know, it's, it's like more, he's had to get more graphics on the second time around. Anyway, in his thing, Bond says, oh, you know, another woman who just thinks I'm another piece of meat. That's not how he phrases it, but it's funny mm-hmm. seeing his, you know, seeing this Bond. What, what the guy tried to do is take Fleming's Bond and kind of make sense of the various timeline quirks and things and try and you know come up with a you know a 12 year narrative essentially mm-hmm. but but that bit about bond bemoaning uh, all these women just think he's just a hunk of meat and then they leave him and it's just i just thought it was hilarious and mm-hmm. seeing it again in the second go around it's it's he's doing thunderball currently and uh, uh, anyway. I, I, got, I'm, I'm, I may be slightly out of sync with you guys, but uh, interestingly enough, um, this is a reverse shot because you can see yeah. um, the, the pocket square is on the other side of uh, Connery's jacket. Um, hmm. Not that uh, many people really kind of think about that, but... Um, well, it's because most of the, the, the intercuts and rear projection stuff yeah. here, don't they? But, but also, <laughs> though, that... That happens. That happens a lot in Thunderball too, where they have to like revert. They have to flip the image to give the flow correct. To make yeah, the flow correct. right. So we go from um, maps to maps to tapes to tapes. Yeah. Those two scenes. And so we discover that Bond and M were in Tokyo at one time, which yeah. Con- <laughs> contrary to the country to Bond's claim in You and Live Twice. Exactly. But he's never yeah. been there. I love Lois Maxwell during this scene, by the way. Just her eyes, her facial expressions are really great. 
Yes, uh, especially when um, he she hears Tatiana talking, and then mm. she gets like a little dream. Oh, right there, like a little dreamy. I'd, Ooh, that sounds it's, interesting. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all, Miss Penny. Miss Penny. That's all. That's all. <laughs> as soon as she's out of the room, he starts playing the tape again. But then she goes and flicks on the thing and keeps on listening. I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's great. Never noticed her goldfish brooch before. I had looking at that. Yeah. <laughs> We're all like, oh, yeah. And especially with Lisa's comments earlier on about water and the fish and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, hmm, yeah, interesting. But he doesn't trust Tatiana entirely, so he gives her the wrong date. Or is he superstitious? I've never quite known what that bit's about. I, I think he's giving her the wrong date so that she doesn't give it away. Uh, okay. You know, so- they do nothing to sort of uh, portray Istanbul as a terribly glamorous city, which I, I quite like, actually. Um, it, it's not so much like some of the other Bonds, which I think when they go to famous locations, they tend to glamorize it a bit more than it actually is. Um here oh, that's because it's, it's the requirements of the tax breaks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here it just it feels real. It's uh, yeah, it is very nice. One of those pictures on the walls of Yuri Gagarin. Hmm. That one, hero <laughs> of the Soviet Union. <laughs> hmm. Unfortunately, I'm out of sync with you guys now, so I'm gonna. Just the bomb to... just went off, but the bomb just went about. I'm a second behind, uh, um, but okay. Yeah. Uh, and now we have the first rendition of 007, meaning the uh, music that uh, John Barry intended as a kind of alternate James Bond theme, but uh, never really took off that much, but is a you know John Barry fan favorite. Hmm. Um. Being slightly out of sync, it's going to be hard to to to, to well, know this. Well, let, but, uh, let, me, uh, let me mention something real quick. Then, just you know, yeah. beyond this particular thing, one thing we haven't talked about is the screenplay and um, sort of forgotten figure in Bond films is Johanna Harwood, who worked mm-hmm. on the first two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and she is credited here. the The final credit was screenplay by Maybaum, adapted by Harwood. Um, which is kind of akin to a story by credit, except you're adapting a existing novel or whatever. And a lot of people like totally forgot her. She's still with us, I believe. Yeah, um, and, and Cinema Retro interviewed her. Um, oh, and here we are in Spain. But <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, though, that you know she was kind of remembered sort of after Phoebe Waller-Bridge was hired to do right. um time to die suddenly like people had to like dig when was the last time a woman I think, got a like i think it was um our friend matthew field traced her down and then um did an interview with her for the doctor no anniversary and then they but he reconnected her with eon afterwards because um hmm. I, th- I, th- I think you're right but i don't think anybody assumed she was still around still with us and and somebody else who worked on the screenplay uncredited was len dayton author of the ipcris file um and he supposedly was uh, with the crew in Istanbul, but I, I have this one book by an academic named James Chapman. Now, apparently at one point, 
Maybaum was grousing that he didn't think that Harwood deserved a credit. Uh, why he thought that wasn't really explained, just he said that. Um, and that he said, and that he also said that, well, Dighton worked on maybe 35 pages, wasn't getting anywhere. Obviously, that's, a, that's his view, so there's no way to know. But uh, the general pattern was, you know, Maybaum was a Albert R. Broccoli guy going back to the Warwick films. And, um, you know, but Saltzman would then bring in an English writer to kind of rework his stuff. And, you know, it was Lynn Dayton here, uh, Paul Dane and Goldfinger, John Hopkins and Thunderball. Um, so anyway, there was a weird dynamic going on with the, the scripting process. Is that Harry Saltzman's wife or was it Terrence Young's wife? I can't remember. Harry Saltzman's. It was Jackie. Jackie Saltzman. In the window next to Red Grant. Yeah, J-Q-U-I. And just to finish the plug, James Chapman has that great book, Licensed to Thrill. He's got two mm-hmm. editions. Um, I'm sure a third one will probably come out with the 60th uh, anniversary. So if anyone's looking for just some sort of like an academic review of the cultural history of James Bond, I highly recommend it. And his book really helped to, uh, it was a, it's considered a foundational text of establishing James Bond studies as like an academic branch of study. And it came out in the early 2000s. And that's when James Bond yep. scholarship it's started. Great. So. In fact, it came out specifically in 2000. I have, no, I have no. an idea. Uh, the first edition and I've met him. He's a great guy. And he's awesome. And, and that's the book I was quoting uh, with the comment from Maybaum. So now we're on the train and in the book, uh, Bond knows he should get in the novel. Bond knows he should get off the train a lot sooner than he does, but he decides, I want to see how this plays out, which kind of goes back to my theory about Bond's, strategic thinking consists of, well, I got my gun and I'll see what happens. But um, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> We've just passed it. Um, it's a very, it, it's not a terribly interesting detail, but the uh, the lady that passes Bond and Karim when they're out talking in the, uh, in, in the corridor, I do love that we sort of linger on her for just a couple of seconds more, see that she goes into a cabin um, next door to Bond and Tanya. I think that's a really nice Hitchcockian flourish. It almost feels like it should be a setup for something that comes later, and it's not, but it's a nice detail, right. I think. Also, um, as long as they're tossing out trivia, I think the final run of the Orient Express was in the 70s. And here in the States, 60 Minutes, the news magazine show, did a story and um, one of their correspondents named Morley Safer you know, did the story. And at one point, you see them change the train engine. And like one of the engines, the new engine actually had the number 007 on it. And it's like, okay, so then now they amp up in the 60 minute story, what's going on. And then they, uh, cut back and forth between the bond grant fight <laughs> and like more and like Morley safer is like walking by. Ooh, what's that? And he, like, you see Morley safer opening the door and then you have a clip from the fight and it's, it was fairly amusingly <laughs> edited together. Sorry. I didn't mean to kill the conversation. <laughs> Charming, charming. (laughs) 
bring up my comment again about traveling with nightgowns. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> when I travel, probably not going to have like a lacy see-through nightgown um, with me on the train, but you know. A whole, su- a whole suitcase full of them. Suitcase full of them. That's the only thing she brings. So. Well, no, Vaughn brought it. Vaughn yeah, brought it. For <laughs> it's like he was thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. So whilst nothing's really happening, maybe we should, <laughs> ben, ben, maybe we should talk about this. Of course. Octopus. <laughs> Are you there, Ben? Ben is missing. I like the subtle pinstripes on the guy's suit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting they got um, Connery back for the uh, um, the video game, which was almost his his kind of his last sort of performance before he, he decided to uh, come back out of retirement and do that. Uh, uh, Sibylli thing um, but it, it, it's interesting you get this kind of uh, beautiful retro looking game um, with you know a young Sean Connery but um, obviously Sean Sean's voice is of a man who is uh, I guess in was he in his 80s at the time 70s um, I think late 70s uh, uh, he was so born he, in and, 1930 and, so and the game came out in 2005 do the math so uh <laughs> Uh, he had, um, he'd also had some uh, throat surgery as, as, as well. Um, so you, you have know, this young looking bond in the game with a very old man's voice. You know, the thing is technology exists where you can take an old person's voice and kind of restore it to how they were when they were a young man. Because they used it in the late 1980s when they did a restoration on uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Because they got, to, they were able to get together a good many members of the cast, but they had to use this tech to dial back their voices to how it, how they sounded in '62. When because they had to do some some uh, voice work to you know with the footage they found, but uh, I suppose the video game of Rush with Love didn't have that budget, but. Uh, yeah, so it can be done. Sean, I'll never come back and play James Bond again, Connery. Um, mm-hmm. It took a million dollars to do the voiceover for that game. <laughs> you know, that's what he asked Charles Kate Feldman for. And if Feldman had been smart enough to pony up. <laughs> so, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before. So if anybody doesn't know, the potted history of it is we were we were actually doing treatments for them for, for a Roger game at the time. And then they, they threw a Hail Mary to Connery saying, what would it take you to come do a voiceover? He said a million dollars and choice of the film. And they go, sure, no worries. And he said, from Russia with love. And I think there was a collective pause on the conference call because <laughs> everybody knew that how the hell are you going to make a video game out of from Russia with love? <laughs> it is but, the least like so i mean just of all the bonds even the conneries it's just like the least sort of apart from the gypsy camp sequence i mean the levels that they have to go to to insert video game style action you know including gatling guns on the back of him and karim's boat through the cisterns of istanbul <laughs> and all those kinds of things it's uh there's a yes. whole tangent where him and karim have to like 
disguise themselves as Russian agents. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think it would have been a great opportunity just to make a completely original story with Connery's Bond of this era. And I think that would have been something very special. And I think they, they, they're sort of halfway there anyway, like certainly the ending where it's just this abrupt... What? You know, well, Rose Clever dies and then red, they go off yeah, to the red, octopus base. <laughs> yeah, Red Grant's got a nuclear bomb for a hundred million pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. They also inserted the DB5 into it. This is like the DB5 yeah. has no place in a from Russia. Oh, and, 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 and video game or not? And copious jetpacks. <laughs> oh, thank goodness that they did. Like, I, uh, the opening level of that game is saving the prime minister's daughter at a party at the Houses of Parliament, and you end the level by like flying a jetpack around Big Ben. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a really great game. Um, but, yeah, as a game, it's 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 fine. But you know, it's like let's yeah. Yeah. But, but but still though it would have been better if it just didn't even call it from Russia. I, I welcome any yes. yeah. I welcome Completely any project agree. that gives me another opportunity to speak to Maria Manonis. There goes Pedro. I did. I yes. did. Um, yeah, I did, I did like the production. Well, the design uh, of the levels on the game. I thought, uh, particularly on kind of mm. Spectre Island at the end. Uh, it's a you know which if, you know if you're going to talk about um, it being a you know, a different making a different film. It kind of yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of its own little adventure at the end there. Mm. So by the way, so we're seeing Pedro's I'm sorry, Karim's body. And so like later he tells one of Karim's sons, Oh, he took care of himself. There's a knife in his back. Now was he just <laughs> right. saying that to the son to make him oh, feel wait, better? Or wait did Pong not notice that detail? I'm just wait for little... it. Here we go. Oh yep. Here's is not Ian Fleming. Is <laughs> not Ian Fleming. He is right. a Turkish farmer and his cow. Was <laughs> <laughs> there, there a rumor that yeah. was Fleming? Yeah. Oh yeah, for for decades before See, really um, DVD. Yeah. Yeah, like I I made a video about this recently and just kind of looked back into there was a book in like the nineties I think that kind of cited that Asserts that was. It. Fleming, yeah, and I don't know if that was just like a, a rumor beforehand or just something that you know gossip. I have no idea. The, sort of. the reason is that he did a set visit, and there are photographs mm. of him on the set visit wearing similar clothing. Yeah, um, like he like he's sitting in front of the train. There's also pictures of him with uh, Pedro Armendariz and Robert Shaw, like yeah. shopping. Mm. Oh. Yeah, some of the shots I think were using Life magazine, weren't they? Oh yeah, I get I get the likeness. I just don't know who the first person was to sort of put two and two together and be like, oh, that must be him. Like where They'd that with five. originated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're talking over one of the more troubling scenes in the series. That's <laughs> right. <Sorry>. Yes. <clears throat> Let's keep it trivial by pointing out that that sweater was just released by NPL as a out of their 007 for women line that uh, went live yeah. today. Oh, does, does not come with a smack in the face. I don't think they use the still from this scene to advertise. It's a cracking good sweater. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. Domestic abuse oh, that's, line. Yeah, that's not good. Not a good look. Mm. Oh, oh here, and here's an old-fashioned storytelling technique. From I mean, this looks like a 50s movie. Or yeah. early. Yeah. Early. The montage of the map, which sure. I actually like. I like the mix of the music in this, and we'll have another one here after this train stop. But uh, Indiana Jones brings it back. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Except, except um, 
I was about to say, except they didn't do it as an homage. They were doing it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is an accepted storytelling technique. What's what's your problem, guy? This is well, apparently Peter, Peter Hunt hated um, doing that montage. Apparently, it was just uh, yeah. He talks about in the Criterion commentary again, um, just how much he was sort of like putting it off, and he didn't like that they had to resort to that to show the transition between locations. But he did it begrudgingly. Yeah, well, so, the thing is, though, this movie was like not that far removed from that thing as a standard technique. Um, yeah. Now, okay. So, and here's the uh, here's the code or the the code sequence again or the password yeah. thing again. So, and um, something that hasn't really been identified much is the guy that plays Captain, the real Captain Nash in this sequence, was the location manager. Bill Hill. Bill Hill, because the actor couldn't make it the last night. And he later was associate producer on Frenzy, one of the last Alfred Hitchcock movies. Yeah. Not know that. Huh. Yeah. I do like the way that they had um, Grant kind of trailing Bond on the train to overhear the uh, recognition. Um, Yeah. uh, Right. And well, actually, they already knew the, but they already knew the code because he says, we sweated it at one of your men in Tokyo before he died. Mm. So he he does also kind of back, but it does also back up the fact that, you know, he's, he's such a good agent, really, that he can kind of, he he can glean all of this on his own. He's, he's an independent, you know, they, they often talk about Scaramanga being Bond's sort of shadowy double or, you know, um, yeah, that starts here. Really. It's really it's 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 Grant who is um, who is as capable as Bond really. Also, and, I was just ironically, say, Bond isn't isn't that capable in this film. I, I, I was just going to say you know, the the montage thing may be an old technique, but Barry's music makes it sells you on, especially on the second one. It's just it's mm. amping up the emotion, at least in me. So, mm. no, very much agree. Yeah. And so, and we're finally going to hear him speak here in a couple of minutes. And that's the other thing about, you know, you mm-hmm. never hear Grant speak for the longest time. Mm. Then when you finally hear his voice, it's almost unnerving. Yeah. I wonder if audiences <clears throat> originally thought he was going to be Russian before he opens his mouth one hour, 20 minutes into the film. Mm. <laughs> I think you would you would be led like, to believe that, that. You certainly wouldn't expect this sort like, of very crisp English accent to come out of him. It's, yeah, it's like one of the original aha kind of fake out moments of the series that I guess we just don't even think about anymore. And there's mm. Bill Hill mm. as the doomed silence. Captain Nash. Silence also defines a lot of hench people throughout, right? Like mm. they're supposed to be seen but not heard and fear is evoked when we don't know the personal motivations like what drives you when you can't say you know this is who i am and why i'm doing it there's the fear of the unknown and i think that that's an element that's really uh drawn through so many hench people so when he does open his mouth and start talking it's like but is this how he actually sounds is he just putting Mm. on a voice because to me it always felt contrived I mean, if he's going to use old boy or old man or old chap, whatever he says over and over again, it's supposed to be considered something that is, you know, he's putting on airs or he's putting mm. on a persona. So I have no I, idea if that's how he actually sounds. As an aside, what did Grant tell uh, Captain Nash? Oh, let's go have a chat in the toilet. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's another de- death in the toilet. Another mm, men's room. Yeah, yeah. Death in a men's room. Or was, the actual, was, the, was the other title for this film? 
um, I believe. <laughs> um, oh, but here's so we we've now witnessed this um, um, code phrase now. So so we don't need to hear them say it again. We know what they're doing with that. Mm. I thought that was a nice touch. Doing mm. it inside. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, that the whole idea that they just could. Um, I uh, I do know, like Bond's look of. of- Bond's look of disdain that he has a business card. It's so good. I love it. Just the confusion and just, okay, let's just carry on with this then, I guess. It's really nice. Captain Nash, MI6 Bureau Chief in Zagreb. <laughs> well, I like that Robert Shaw kind of plays it as this semi-bumbling uh, sort of comedic yeah. character for Bond just to react against. Uh, particularly after Bond has just, you know, lost a friend in this mission with Karim. I think it's quite great. It's a quite nice dynamic. Especially with the insufferable old man over mm. and over again. That's just, you know, it's like, that's like the last thing Bond wants to hear. Yeah. And it's nice because it just, it feels <clears throat> like Grant is twisting the knife. It's like, he knows how Bond is feeling in this moment. So he's just sort of adding in these irritating little character quirks just to piss yeah, him off. I'm it's sure really nice. it does sort of, it does come across as sort of deliberate. And especially yeah. when, uh, you know, he taunts him later on you know like you're going to make you crawl over here and kiss my foot it's Mm. kind of like you know that he doesn't like him you know he doesn't have to be sadistic he just he he doesn't like bond Mm. um Mm. meanwhile i'm sorry slightly confusing is like okay which case does the tear gas explode from is it from bond's case or is it from nash's case i think it's the latter i've Um, watched 50 times i've concluded that but i'm you know it's a, a smidge confusing because they say it was a standard kit. Um, I think it. Yeah, it's hard to. It's hard to know, isn't it? Uh, I, I can't really remember. It might be Bonds. But, you know what? Yeah. I've, ne- I've never even thought that it could have been the other case. No, I think I, it must be Bonds because Grant later on picks it up from the roof rack, which is where Bonds is previously. No, but but he picks it from the roof rack, and then he says, "You show me," and he, and he shoves the case oh. toward Bond, and then Bond oh. takes out the fifty gold sovereigns. Yeah, and then he says, "That's right." And then he says, "Oh, the same." Yeah, and then Bond says, "Oh, there must be. I'll take a look." Like he's trying to make you know make uh, Nash. I'm sorry, Grant anxious. Yeah, you know, put your hands back in your pocket. See, that's yeah, that's right. He's he does it deliberately to kind of assume that there's a because he knows there's a pistol in the yeah. case, right? So he's looking mm-hmm. through it right now and he's going, "Oh, there's a there's a PPK in there." So mm-hmm. he knows that if Grant can open it, he can he can like he can get the the, the PPK. Or if he can't, the, the tear gas will go off. So it's a mm-hmm. win win for Bond, really. Yeah, yeah. In that sense. Mm-hmm. Is that Grant's uh, about to order red wine with his fish. Ah. Oh. I like it in the video game they have to dumb down the dialogue just ever so slightly so Grant does say like I'll have wine red wine and then (laughs) red wine with the fish (laughs) you heard me red wine with the fish you usually have white wine (laughs) red red the red kind um Oh god! And she's just looking, you know, like every incels kind of. Tatiana, <laughs> thankful she hasn't bruised her face after Bond slapped she, her. She's just she's just there, just like oh god, I hate men. Oh, um, and <laughs> puts the tablet in the wine that doesn't dissolve. And he, and he, and he <clears throat> sees it as well. So it, it's the one mistake really that uh, Grant makes because. 
Bond is staring directly at him when he yeah. does it. It's kind of like right. he's like, uh, look at look at his kind of reaction to him doing it. It's like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So I love the fact that he goes red wine with fish. I should have told me something rather than uh, dropping dropping a sleeping pill into the <laughs> pill into the wine. That should have told me something. Yeah. Well, he's still he's oh, still. Yeah. I, mean, I just thought you were just being her. When he yeah. calls him on the pill, he's still so, keeping up the cover. He, he's like, well, I, I can't bring you both back, so I knocked her out, mm. right? Mm, yeah, I got you. Right. Yeah, I guess. That's true. That would be a typical MI6 thing to do. They're all dicks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's, honest, honestly, uh, Lisa, it took me the longest time as a kid to understand what, what he was talking about at this point because like, I was like, why, why – why are you not taking her with you? It, it. I just didn't equate. I just couldn't compute it as a kid that they would, they would leave her behind. <laughs> I just thought it was like this. No, what do you mean? It's only for one. I don't. What? And Bond's like, fair enough. <laughs> it just seems unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> write something a little better than that than putting dropping a, a drug into a woman's drink, which is really problematic. I was going to say bond, bond, bond ahead of the times again. Mm. Yeah, and this, and this bit where he's just like, oh, that's okay then. Um, it's just kind of... Um, Bonk. Yeah. <laughs> this is quite nice. We very rarely see sort of Bond unconscious and the villains sort of just like, you know, going about his person like this. It's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like Shades of Doctor No, isn't it? With um, yeah, the villain just mm. like check, checking him out, and the villain yeah. can do whatever he wants. Like that same with Doctor No, he is legit out cold, and a smart villain might kill the person, mm. but um, you know it does that doesn't make for the greatest amount of action. But Bond is a hundred percent vulnerable at this moment. Maybe that's what Tatiana Romanova feels right now. My vulnerable being drugged out of her, out of consciousness in the other room. <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of, every time there's a reset, like with Daniel Craig, they talk about, oh, he's human and he can be hurt. And everybody forgets these first two movies where yeah. Bond's a thoroughly human uh, hero. It's one of the reasons why I, I kind of, I, I think a lot of people like this film for this reason. It's one of the reasons I like it. it, it Bond isn't invulnerable in it. Um, and I think it's important to kind of have a character, like if, if you have a character who can just waltz through is unchanged from beginning to end, um, there's no real kind of like tension. You know, that bond's going to get out of any situation bond in this particular film, you know, okay. You know, ultimately he's going to prevail, but you, you genuinely have a sense of, oh, well, he's, he's not infallible in this. So he could, he could get into some trouble. Also interesting, this movie, has, and it's not overwhelming, but it does have a little bit of continuity here and there. Because in the original villains meeting, they make a reference to Dr. No. Oh, we'll have a chance to get a personal revenge for the killing of her operative, Dr. Yep. No. And we have Sylvia. Oh, the last time you said that, you went off to Jamaica, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, you know, it, it's not, again, not overwhelming, but there's little <laughs> bits here and there. Yeah, they were, they were trying to build a formula, like to to the point where the stock footage of the airplane landing and the air air control tower, and then the air like it's it's all very sort of like uh, you know 
repetitive in terms of just letting an audience know what to expect. This is the part where Bond goes on, you know, lands, lands right. in the exotic land for his adventure. And they're both more or less confined to one location. I know that this ends yes. in Venice, but. But the Venice stuff is mostly in a studio with some, you know, skeleton crew shots of right. uh, Venice. But, and also with that uh, arrival in this movie, it's very similar to Dr. No, but they play around with it a little bit because, okay, in the first movie, it's like an enemy agent who met him at the airport. This time it's an ally, but, you know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't yeah. know for sure until they exchange the right code phrase. And, it's very self-aware <clears throat> and, and full yeah. of callbacks. Interesting for a, a, that time, I guess, in terms of establishing a formula for a, for a franchise. Yeah. You know, at, at a time, the word franchise was not associated with movies. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, it's finally dawning on Bond. Rosa Clips, mm. Russian? What? <laughs> <laughs> I like how Grant just carries around the snuff film, the, 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 the <laughs> yeah. sex tape equivalent. Of the, yeah. Spectre's part TMZ in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do think that Grant's sexuality is kind of interesting, just because obviously we have Rosa Klebb is clearly well, lesbian, bisexual, whatever. She's attracted to Tanya, certainly. Um, Grant here, he does take some sadistic pleasure in sort of playing with Bond here, and I in the book, I think he's he sleeps he liked with to kill women. He's he like to kill something when it was a full moon. Yeah, right. Yeah, in which they left out of the movie. Yeah. Okay, I think. A little extreme, <laughs> but I do love his old backstory in 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 the book. Um, and you know, I I think there's some interesting stuff going on here with his sort of just playing with Bond, just keeping him on this little string. He doesn't seem to quite want to kill him, just sort of playing with him a bit. Yeah, I I, I like it. I think I think there's some sexual tension here. Um, it's interesting that Bond gets slapped. He slapped Tatiana. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of leaning towards. It's like, huh? Yeah, interesting. And the whole thing about kissing his foot and that kind of thing, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. I forgot to mention earlier, Red Grant's father is in one of the young Bond books. Oh. Oh. Yeah, Charlie Hickson. Hmm. It's actually in Silver Grandfather. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, the mighty O'Donovan appears in uh, Silver mm. That's right. And wasn't it because they were, he was a, uh, wasn't Karim a wrestler or something? Yeah, I can't remember anything. Circus thing, something like okay. that. Yeah. So here's Grant grabbing the overhead case. Oh, and it's in a I different place to where it was earlier on. It was on the other side before, wasn't it? Which is Bond's case, I believe. Yeah. And and Grant doesn't observe the funny way that Bond's opening the case, thankfully. And the fact that there's a folding sniper's rifle right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to come in handy later. I've never, though, bought into this, this idea of, like, I get that he's toying with Bond, and I always felt that that was something that was personal. But to then be like, sure, I'll take money. I don't know. Mm. It just that feels a bit out of character for Grant. Um, yeah. Maybe that's just, I don't know if I'm reading him wrong, but I never got that sense that he was money hungry. Although, as we talked about, who knows how hench people are paid? So, I don't mean. Well, it's, uh, and you're it's, absolutely it's right, though. The, that is the other case that he's opening now. Yeah. It's from it's from the, the, the book, Lisa. Um, 
that you know he's introduced as having all of these trinkets that you wouldn't be able to have if you were actually a Soviet agent. They reward him with like a gold lighter and a gold cigarette case, um, and you no, know, so he it, it, he is interested in the trappings, the the financial trappings of it. Um, I think if, if if there were just like little nods to that before this, then I'd be like, I could see why he'd be like, ooh, yes, I would like it mm. versus just sort of throwing it in. It just without that ha- happening beforehand, <laughs> it just seems a little bit off. Yeah. And in, in the film yeah. version, obviously, he's basically a mercenary, right? Because he's yeah. um, working yeah. for Spectre. So it is a job for money. So it's, yeah. an, it's an unexpected windfall. <laughs> from Grant, yeah, yeah. I, I sort of yeah. think it's lost on modern audiences how much, how many gold sovereigns would be worth these in those times, you know? Yeah, mm. Mm. seven pounds fifty. That's right. <laughs> mm. Great. Yeah, fight. I mean, to me. monetary wise, that meant nothing to me. It just looked like gold on a piece of like plastic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like that's like pound coins. That's yeah. Not much. <laughs> He was like, "It's a yeah. million dollars." I'd be like, "Okay, I get it. Yeah. I get the, I, I get the appeal." Mm. Well, the idea behind a gold sovereign is that it is actually made of gold. So. Yeah. Yeah. But then every MO6 so the idea- has a suitcase of them. Whoops. Um, so Bond's hands are bloody. Now it's whose case is that- in now? <laughs> uh, I, don't it, I don't think it matters because the knife is in all of it. Everyone yeah. has a knife in their case. <laughs> he must not have put the knife in that deep into his arm because it fell out. But uh, hmm. anyway, I will say this though: in in the f- uh, fall of 1977, my sophomore year in college. They were showing this at the Indiana Memorial Union at Indiana University. This scene got a rousing, it wasn't a standing applause, but it was very loud applause. You could not hear his line about, you won't be needing this old man. People were still cheering. So mm. I'll just, I suspect there were like some new fans who'd been brought in by the spy who loved me from the summer. Mm. Hey, um, Garot, what was coming to him? Oh. Hey. <laughs> Oh my! Wow. It, it, it was time. It was, wow. it was time. Yeah. Was it was time to die. Right there. Drink <laughs> <Trench> knocks. <laughs> Wake up! Or I'll leave you behind. So the rest of the movie from this point, like, I mean, we could just have Bond and Tanya get off the train, yep. get in a car, and then. We're in Venice. Roll, so, roll credits. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, we, we can go to Venice to wrap up with Cleb and everything, but this whole, like, the Hitchcock take for the uh, on the uh, the helicopter thing, the whole boat chase, it, it really is just sort of like, a, huh, this is just for sort of um, spectacle's sake rather than trailers. anything storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah, trailers, for the trailers. Land battle sequences to a movie that's been mostly indoors. or mm. I mean, even the Gypsy Camp scene, which was technically out of doors is, you know, in a studio. So just to, mm. yeah, yeah, it's, I'm just saying that's probably the thought process. It's mm. Garth Marenghi's dark place where everything is like, we've had to pad it out with slow motion. Also, um, also by a, the way, everyone says, Oh, this movie stole from uh, Hitchcock. No, what it really stole from was Ernest Lehman who wrote North by Northwest because <laughs> the story goes that as they were working out the story, um, Lehman said, and then what do they do? And then 
Hitchcock supposedly said something like, they send a tornado after him. And like hmm. Lehman saying, no, Hitch, oh, I don't think so. Let me have a think on it and I'll work this out. And so that's how Lehman then came up with the whole crop duster sequence that this movie does a distinct homage to. Um, hmm. Hitchcock gets the credit, but like, you know, Ernest Lehman did the hard work in coming up with it. Hmm. Hmm. That's my story. Yeah. I'm sticking to it. But. <laughs> uh, it's again, a lot of this day for night stuff that um, always makes it fairly hard to watch. I feel like, mm. um, you know, when they just stick a blue filter on something, it's yeah. casting a lot of shadow for, uh, you know, um, I remember <laughs> God, 50 years ago I was at home. I was watching, my dad wanted to watch this particular episode of Gunsmoke and it was like this day for night sequence. And he's like explaining, it's like, they're really putting a filter on that. See, you can see the shadows. Like, thanks dad. Thanks for ruining the illusion for me. Um, <laughs> he's right. Ever since then, it's like, as soon as I can see it's day for night, it's like, no, oh, that's day for night. They couldn't afford a night shoot <laughs> because a real night well, shoot, you're limited by the, the lighting. I was going to say back in the sixties, you couldn't really light a location at night outdoors. No, well, really yes, you could, but it's pretty Unless obvious. Have, like, how generators. Um, yeah. There's a movie called Oh, Oh, never mind. It was it was directed by Otto Preminger, and it's like a lot of senators uh, advise and consent, and it's like a party mm-hmm. scene, and it really was shot at night. But you're limited by the the length that the Scott spotlights Blum. can <laughs> can light for you. <laughs> So it's in its own way, it's as distinctive as day for night is. So you could like do a pair CG, of CGI a pair of, welcome to Scotland sign on the road. Yeah. So this you could do you could do the the the, the, the Moonraker um, tie in with this as well, couldn't you? Because the guys that die from a dropped grenade in the helicopter. Um, so that's, well also so that's some a, of these scenes were filmed in the main were used in the main titles of a Jerry Anderson show called the protectors. Um, so it's also in doctor who. Yeah. And also, sorry, go ahead. I'm just going to say real quick, the helicopter is uh, my broken record. It's in the custody of the Ian Fleming foundation. They don't, they don't fly it, but I've seen them um, fire up the engine. They do it every so often. And, when they do it, and I've been there, I like I go in the hangar because I don't trust the thing to not explode. <laughs> it's an old helicopter. I was going to say that I, I I always bring this up: the use of yellow, yellow on the helicopter, mm-hmm. on the car. Um, it's used a lot for different types of like uh, uh, automobiles and 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 technology and spy craft. And I'd also like to say I. Like, I don't feel as though this sequence necessarily fits with the film. And, and I mm. definitely feel sort of the nods that we've been talking about to, to other texts. But I also feel as though this is a very sort of like action turn for the Bond film, right? Like saying, you know, we have all the spy espionage and all this stuff going on. And then there's this action or uh, element um, that mm. gets sort of thrown in. And I feel as though other, the subsequent films integrate it better instead of saying, and we'll leave all the action to the end, um, really doing a better job of balancing action with plot development, narrative, character development, and so forth. But I do like the fact that there is this action element 
um, that's included in the film. Um, I just wish it was maybe better blended uh, or there was more more action throughout, uh, dispersed. But I I still do like it. Perhaps more integrated instead of leaving it to the end, kind of. I do do, do like the uh, stuntman jumping over the rock and Connery (laughs) popping up on the other side. Texas Uh, switch. I have yeah. to admit, I did not know this there for a long time. Somebody, until somebody on Twitter a couple of years ago actually yeah. found that rock and put the Whoa. Google Maps coordinates for it. So. What? Amazing. Yeah, it's still there. Well, you know, this is kind of the... Like, so, the it's a good thing about rocks is they don't go anywhere. Can, <laughs> they're forever. <laughs> you know, to Lisa's point, this is, uh, this is a, 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 the birth of a genre. There weren't really action movies, quote unquote, in, in the early 60s. There were Westerns and there were, you know, uh, war movies and whatnot. But the idea of an action adventure film, give or take a Tarzan movie, I think was still kind of being developed. And, and Bond was a huge part of that, of the, the two cool for the room protagonist who's <clears throat> having stuff blow up around him while he's keeping his cool is uh, it all starts here. Or if there were action adventure movies, they were considered B pictures. They were not A pictures. Right. Um, it's like I've, I've argued that um, Goldfinger is like the first A-list comic book film in the sense that, no, there's no superheroes, but like a villain who throws a hat that can cut your head off. Sure. That kind of stuff. Fantastic. That, to me, that's the kind of beginning of where, you know, that sort of thing becomes an A-list film. Can I just so ask why Bond sequence. has the henchman ride shotgun with him, but he puts Tanya in the back? I mean, that's <laughs> well, there's a no choice. <laughs> but that whole sequence, uh, still figuring it on, out there. there still was, figuring. It out. Was was the that whole sequence was thirty nine steps more than say Hitchcock? Really, I guess um, in a lot of ways, I think. I mean, obviously, it has Hitchcockian overtones, but um, it always reminded me of the thirty nine steps. Um, the, the book. Yeah, I, I just love how Bond um, gets into character here. Okay, he's like, "Well, I've got to wear my hat for this boat." Yeah, <laughs> never thought about that. Yeah, I'm the captain. Yeah. <laughs> People captain will know. <laughs> well, he always wanted all, to, to get all, get promotion. All boat, yeah, all boat captains wear several suits. Yeah, um, uh, with uh, Spectre. I just love the low key Ouch. move of like we're on a boat, so that camera's gonna tilt a little bit here. But I like that they do the lights as well, like you know the the coming through the windows, the lighting moves around, which I think is quite yeah, nice, yeah. and it, yeah. it feels like something that would be overlooked, and yet it's it's not. It's a nice bit of craft. Yeah. So um, they you, had you um, know, a Terrence. organization, but they have these rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For everyone I, to see. I guess I should not be so hard on Quantum and Quantum of Solace for wearing their cute pants. <laughs> Sorry. That's... I like Cronstein's hey, hat, um... by the way, this very lightly colored. Like, he was just having a nice Ooh. summer's day, got, got caught up a picnic somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> this cute bow tie, too. Yeah. It's a nice, thin bow. I no. like it oh, very much. Okay. One of the things I like from the Did 60s is. Um, so the debate I've always had is, is Cronstein, is Cronstein actually the villain of the film? Because he's the one that creates the scheme. Uh, you I, could, I mean, you, you could take the character out no. completely, script-wise. I, I think you, you don't yeah, need him. You could just, I, I agree. I don't, I, Cronstein's not the, not the villain. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. 
I think Kleb is more, I mean, Kleb is much more memorable than he is. Blofeld is much more memorable than he is. And you could, I mean, you could rewrite it, you know, just have Blofeld come up with the plan. It's, I mean, I, I appreciate that they are sticking to a lot of what is in the Fleming book, which I think is one of Fleming's best uh, from Russia with Love. But um, yeah, from a film perspective, you do not need all of these different villainous characters. You could just have Blofeld and Kleb, but yeah. I like how she was sweating in that scene as well, mm, that she was mm-hmm. nervous about the situation. Although I do wish that we would have seen prior to the ending, her actually utilizing the 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 knife in the foot as being a weapon, like her doing it rather than seeing it used on Kronstein. And then magically she has it as part of her shoe that it's standard edition, or at least maybe Ooh. then Grant using it. Like there was just sort of for me a little bit of a gap there. And I would have liked to have seen her you know, actually kill somebody. Mm. Sorry, I, I was talking over someone. I was I was jokingly wondering if uh, Walter Gotell then gave uh, Cleb his pair of shoes. <laughs> 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 right? The same size. Here you go. That's why it smells. <laughs> I also as, love Bond, Walter as, as Bond finds out in Die Another Day. <laughs> mm. Walter Gotell has done good as well to get from that boat to here because that boat is... Where exactly, like the Spectre boat, Blofeld's boat? Is it Venice? Yeah, so, so he, is it his twin? What the <laughs> hell's going on? Because there's no way that... Oh, I can't like, believe I've never noticed that, Calvin. That's amazing. They went to an airstrip and they flew him out to the... Hey, thanks, boss. Here, we've been waiting these black boats for you. <laughs> I just lose... I completely lose geography at this point, and it's like... Where is everyone? Where is Spectre? Are they moored nearby for some reason? It, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, well okay. I guess they would have been in position to pick up, um, you know, Red Grant. That mm. I, I guess is my my only. I don't know why they need so many heavily armed boats, but okay. it would make why it is Walter make... Gotell needing a pair of binoculars to see those drums? Which why is, is he <laughs> slowing down near them? Like right. that makes like oh, oh right, so, yes, he's he's dropped these drums. Right, everyone, slow down. We need to stop right next to them for some reason. Makes absolutely no sense. Well, um, in in real life, Maybaum was recycling a bit from I think it's the Red Beret. Um, where it had something similar where there was combustible fluid yeah. on top of water and one gets one flare out. simultaneously ignites that oh, does not barrels. Two flares. Yeah. He, he fires it twice, but yeah, it's like one flare like knock sends off about Oh six. my gosh. Sorry. That was then, an ex- that that explosion was actually a bit of an accident when they kept it in the film. <laughs> I'm like, this looks real. This does not look like, you know, cinematic this, stuff. It looks like this- control. Apparently well, this did get a bit out of control. Oh, well, in real life, it like it mistake the, the day before and they had to do it again. Because oh. it, it was supposed to be um, a run through and they really set it off. And then like, okay, Johnny, meaning John Steers, you got uh, you got to get all of your stuff, you know, send it up here from London. And so we can do it again. Water. Oh, my but, God. but bear in mind the director of this movie, um, nearly died in a helicopter accident going into this water. So, mm. you know, mm. broken arm. It was yeah. like Terrence Young, Ted oh. Moore, and uh, um, yeah. Michael White, who was like the assistant art director, were in that helicopter. And because in the making of the uh, documentary, they talked about how the, the pilot had the presence of mind to tilt the helicopter so when it hit the water, the the blades flew off 
So, you know, not so they wouldn't, you know, just, you know, removing one element of hazard, although obviously sinking in a lot in deep water is like, you know, hazardous. And uh, they had to like dive down and get them and they were like running out of air and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and the story goes that uh, once they fished them out, that Terrence Young was directing again in like just kept 35 going. minutes. <laughs> Right, he you know, strap my arm up and keep us going. Do they um do they have a prop of the uh, the Lecter Dakota? It, sh- it should I be somewhere because like that that's be the a, only a time cool we actually thing. see it is right there, isn't it? With it open, mm. it would be it would be a great uh, prop to have, wouldn't it, next to your iMac? Um, <laughs> uh oh, the world's world first laptop. I do think the ending is interesting because I'm thinking here of Thunderball as well. It really is Bond's, you know, girlfriend um, who's the one who saves the day. He can't save himself. And if you read the novel, it ends with Bond being stabbed um, and, and, and it ends with him almost di- like we think he's dying, like he's passing out conscious. And that's how the, the novel itself ends. Like, will right. Bond survive? In, in in the first draft of the novel, that didn't even happen. It had a because I read the manuscript at Indiana University in, back in '97, and uh, it had a more conventional happy ending. So Fleming came up with that idea when he took the manuscript back to uh, London to rework it. I like oh. it. I'm glad he reworked it. Yeah. yeah, it's very like Sherlock Holmes and the Rock and Back Falls, though you know. He kind of just wanted to get rid of him and then went, yeah, cliffhanger. I just wonder um, why Tanya Tanya hits her with a sweater when she had that like 80 pounds, 50 pound lector device, right? <laughs> there was no pillow available to throw on her face. <laughs> I do hate the floor in this set. I know it's a trivial thing to point out, but it just, it, it looks like such a studio <laughs> set. It really it bothers does. me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the wallpaper no. is so busy and it's so hard to sort of get your your bearing on like what's mm. going on in the action like my, my i'm looking at the wallpaper and not rosa club dying <laughs> <laughs> so lisa you've, you've got to you've got to pick between the honor majesty secret service casino wallpaper and this <laughs> wallpaper <laughs> what, what do you have for your for your corona pandemic isolation right yeah. Which one yeah. you pick? Oh gosh! You have to have you have to have one of them. It's either the, the either the purple wallpaper or this or the gold. I think I'd pick purple. The gold is very very flashy. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll offer a blindfold. <laughs> Last minute shots that Terrence Young got. Double taking like, pigeons. Very late in the game and with a lot of rear projection with the principal actors. Mm. Um, and like I like how Bond casually puts the wedding ring in the pocket of his suit coat. Um, oh, and they cut a line out of this. Um, yes, they did. And that's they, so that's Terence Young's wife. Okay, because when they because t- when he takes the film out and he starts looking at it, the line they cut out was, "What a performance!" I guess Bond's <laughs> admiring his performance, but um, yeah, that's the jump cut right there. Ah. Yeah. What the I'll show you. I have a question though. Like, so and, I, um, I guess this is the bit that should have cut out. But, but wouldn't does water actually destroy it, or would it nope. just 
like, <laughs> still probably exists. So he's throwing it away, but like anybody can fish it out and be like, look what I'm looking at. All right. The fan video, the next time somebody goes to Venice, Some pull gondola reel, driver's going to blackmail him. <laughs> Not quite the end. And now we have, now we promote the next movie. So now we're like confident there's going to be a next movie. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, well, I watched this entire film uh, flipped uh, because my copy of the film was backwards. Um, and that's, so that on, it, I, that's so that it didn't get copyright detected. Yeah, so that, yeah. Early, <laughs> earlier on, I, I, um, I said, oh, well, you'll notice that Bond's jacket's on back front here, um, or whatever it was, or well, they flipped this image. <laughs> no, the whole film for me was flipped. So this was a very <laughs> unique uh, experience watching, watching this film uh, as, as, as a mirror version. Um, so... So by the way, the darkest timeline cat is Blofeld because it says Ernst Blofeld question mark, and then like in the um, television special, The Incredible World of James Bond, they said this is Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Like, okay, it's not much of a secret, is it? Why are you like hiding his face? <laughs> it's about as much a secret as um, Hans Oberhauser turning <laughs> up. <laughs> oh, gosh. Hmm. It's not Blofeld. Okay, his blood felt. Ah, Mint Schnaps is not good raw. Let me tell you that, Neat. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's mouthwash. Oh, <laughs> um, I, 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 I haven't seen this film in a very long time. Um, I, I think it held up really well. I think the gypsy sequence maybe kind of let it let it down quite a bit um and, but i do think you know it's one of these it's, and it's interesting to to kind of note how it was sort of fixed in the edit um with both pedro uh being kind of doubled and the insertion of kind of red grant um more into the kind of the main oh, and the, the whole reordering of the first act pretty much yeah mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's really impressive that it that it works so well in in like the edit has really kind of saved it i mean they they re they they do a similar thing in thunderball with the edit uh where they completely re rejig certain sections so i'm sure that when we get to do thunderball eventually uh we'll be able to point that out and it's most notable because of bond's uh costume changing uh back and forth um so I I really enjoyed this. I really I I thought you know this held up well despite some of maybe some of the, uh, you know the slapping of uh, to ta- uh, is not good and um. Well, like I said, Bond, it was like Grant made up for it by slapping Bond, so it came back to haunt him. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and and I I think also you've got. Uh, you know some probably problematic stuff in the in the gypsy camp as well, but overall, I think it, it holds up pretty good as a as a as a good little thriller. So, real quick, I just I mentioned this in passing about Pe- uh, about Pedro Armendariz. It is common belief yeah, it is commonly believed that how he came down with cancer was in the fifties. He worked on a film called The Conqueror, which was about Genghis Khan with John Wayne as Genghis Khan. And the cast included uh, Susan Hayward, included Agnes Moorhead, and it was directed by uh, Dick Powell. And all of them suffered from cancer. Wayne had two bouts of cancer, one in the 60s and then again in the 70s, which finally did him in. And um, I know Agnes Moorhead died in the 70s. 
Um, Powell died in 63, the same year. Well, of course, you know, Armendariz committed suicide, but yes, they, you know, so, and a lot of the crew members also had uh, cancer and it's the odds against it, you know, because they were filming in an air in an area in the Western United States where there had been open air atomic tests and they like checked and mm -hmm. said, okay, we film here. Oh yeah, go ahead. And it's like, well, wasn't okay. And, um, the odds against it being anything else are like very high. So just at an aside there, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a crummy movie and it's like really tra it's tragic under any circumstances, but it's especially <laughs> tragic because it was a really movie that probably shouldn't have been made it was like it was produced by howard hughes it was like one of the films he watched over and over when he slipped into dementia in his last years they should put that on the poster <laughs> Funny anyway, you watch this over and over again you slip into dementia so from Russia of love has a connection to no time to die or a thing in common i should say with no time to die okay which is it's the other Bond movie that had its U.S. release delayed by six months. Really? Wow. Yeah. How come? It was the last. It was the last film watched by JFK. That's right. Uh, he was assassinated shortly thereafter, and they delayed the release in the U.S. He was nominated. Yes, because uh, he was assassinated in November of '63, and uh, yes, he saw it. And also, I saw a letter from. Uh, it was one of the Dulles brothers. I'm trying to think if it was one of the Dulles brothers to Ian Fleming or the other way around. I think it was to Ian Fleming. And so whichever brother it was, one had been secretary of state and the other had been uh, director of the CIA. And it said, um, I don't go out to movies very much, but I'm going to go out and see this from Russia with love. Cause you know, you're such a great author. Um, that's a rough, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's not an exact quote, but that was the gist of it. Um, yeah. So and also, the, uh, Fleming also wrote a letter to Robert Kennedy thanking the Kennedys for uh, boosting the sales of his books in the U.S. So. Yeah, that's that's a whole episode of a podcast about there was did he actually read the books that were on that list because it wasn't prepared by him? But um, hmm. but yeah, apparently this was the night before the assassination. Well, the last movie he watched in the White House was from Russia with Love. So they had the finished print done and everything. And well, um, well, the thing though is that he would have had access to the films before they got. Yeah. into general release anyway. And and Hollywood types did too, which is a subject for another podcast. So yeah, uh, presidential assassinations and coronavirus. Right there. Hmm. Yeah, US release date delays. So how quickly uh, pod fans forget about <laughs> six month release delays. <laughs> right, because this in the U.S. this did not come out till the spring of '64. So actually, in in calendar '64, you had two Bond movies in '64. Because yes. Goldfinger came out in like Christmas of '64. So if, if we're going to continue that tradition, then Bond Twenty Six should come out a few months after No Time to Die, shouldn't it, in the U.S.? But. I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they were actually in production of Goldfinger when this came out in the States, weren't they? That's right. Yes, yes because they started filming in like April of 64, I think. And then, of course, Fleming died. Yeah, Fleming died, of course, a month before Goldfinger was released in the UK. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it's funny. It's, it's sort of like Moses in the River Jordan. It's like, you know, he didn't get to see his... Uh, 
creation become a phenomenon. It was successful, but you know, it wasn't the big hit. It would be lighter. Mm. So Phil, you hadn't seen it for a while either, right? What was your, well, a while is uh, a subjective 2020, 2020 take. This, this is my go-to for, uh, for Connery because it's, it's the purest, uh, I guess Thunderball maybe gives it a run for some money, but it's the purest Fleming adaptation that Connery did, I think. And, uh, I, I love the, the low key stakes and how it's still kind of grounded. Um, I, 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 you know, I never, we all have our favorites and you have trends where you sort of like leaning one way or another, but I, I've really been watching the first two over the past year. I've been watching the first two a lot more. There's sort of the, the go-to discs that I put on when I'm, you know, busying myself with something else. Um, I just think it's a, a beautiful looking movie. And I think it's the last, uh, really the last time before Connery starts to phone it in. Yeah, people talk about you only live twice, but I, I, see, I see him kind of yawning through Goldfinger and, and people, people sort of interpret that as him becoming the suave, you know, uh, uh, too cool for the room guy. But I, I think it starts, I think it starts in, uh, it's because he's kind of unhappy in the role and he's starting to get bored in Goldfinger, but he's still thoroughly engaged here. And, and, uh, and he's maybe polished it a little more than he had in Dr. No. So it's, it's my favorite Connery mm-hmm. performance out of the bunch. Well, with Connery, it didn't help. Um, you know, he does Marnie for Alfred Hitchcock. Yep. And I've read his salary for that was like $200,000. And it's like, that was a lot more than he was making for the first two Bond films and was more than he was supposed to make for Goldfinger. They may have raised it <laughs> during production. But, um, and also when he was doing Marnie, you know, he's, he's in Hollywood. It's, uh, a more relaxed uh, pace of production, whereupon I mean, the Bond movies have always had an element of being frantic in their production. They've always, I mean, this film had a lot of uh, production problems. We talked earlier about that helicopter accident, but also Dr. No had a lot of production problems. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's like Connery had a taste of the good life before returning for Goldfinger. So, <laughs> He may have had a he may have had some reason to be like that, not happy. That makes back. sense. And it's a real it's always it's a mom and pop outfit ultimately, right? You know, they're they're all kind of hard scrabble. A lot of these like maybe the first ten or so, like well, Roger Moore suffered through kidney stones, all of Live and Let Die. They're they're all kind of uh, you know these breakneck <laughs> see your pants kind of situations. It feels like compared to sort of a, a super polished Hollywood production, these are these are always independent films. Calvin, how's it um, settled in with you? Because I agreed quite a lot with your YouTube review you did. Was it a couple of years ago? <laughs> yeah, quite, quite a few years ago now. God, I think that was like 2013, 2014, something like that. Um, this is or my... as we call it, the last Bond film came out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Jeez. Um, th- th- this is one where this is my, probably my biggest Bond sin, really, to not, you know enjoy or revere or just get a lot out of this film as I think the fandom generally do. This has always been a relatively low ranking one for me. And I always, I come to it every couple of years thinking, right, this is the time this is, I'm going to put it on and I'm going to love this film. And I just never do. I've never quite connected with it. When I was much younger getting into Bond, it, it I mean, it's a much slower pace and, and all these kinds of things. But that was at a time when I was super into Alfred Hitchcock. Like Alfred Hitchcock is my favorite director. I, and this is the Hitchcock Bonds. You, you, the flourishes are there and you do get the sense that Terence Young is really trying to emulate Hitchcock. I've seen Terence Young's other 
sort of Hitchcock riff film, Wait Until Dark, the Audrey Hepburn film. And I felt similarly to that as I did here. I feel like I'm watching kind of a watered down Hitchcock. And I just, I think there are holes in the story. I think knowing the stuff about the behind the scenes, I think Peter Hunt did an awful lot to kind of shape this film into what it was and I've I've just never connected with it all that much I I appreciate elements I appreciate scenes but I it's not one of my go-to sit-down Bond films Mm -hmm. and in terms of Connery I I probably would much rather go to Goldfinger or You Only Live Twice really um, as prime Connery films but that that's kind of my summation of it. Quick aside just to add to what Calvin just said, in the making of documentary on the home video, there's a quote from Peter Hunt where he said, it wasn't beautifully storyboarded. He talked about he'd get an idea at four in the morning and put his clothes on and go down to the studio. And he said, you had to fight with the film. So yeah, I think that it is true that Peter Hunt did a lot to shape the film. And and in the Criterion commentary, he also talks about kind of, you know, very candid commentaries that they are. He does talk about like how, you know, the average, you know, you see it once, you know, and you come out of it and you're sort of like, well, what was it about really? It's like, I don't know, but it, it, you know, it passed a couple of hours and it was entertaining. And that was kind of the mentality that he had, like, oh, just make it quick. Just get through the things, uh, try to make it make sense because it is quite a complicated plot and and i mentioned this before in 1994 he was one of the people showed up at that official james bond convention in los angeles and i could tell he was like annoyed at people who thought they were experts because they had their vhs copies so that's what you had then Mm. and i could like rewind and catch mistakes and essentially his attitude, it was like, it was very properly British in terms of the way he expressed it. But essentially what it was said was, you think you dweebs are like experts. Like I saw every flaw. My job was to get you through it. So you didn't notice it until at least you were out of the theater. And then you can talk about it when you're going home. But yeah, um, he's on the commentary laughing at continuity mistakes in Thunderball. Like yeah. uh, something about like Connery has trousers that come and go in, in the one of the helicopters. No, Felix, Felix has Felix, you know, they it. appear and they disappear in the same scene. Yeah. Mm. And he's cackling at it in the commentary track. It's very fun. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, can I present a contrarian view to Calvin's? Um, of course. Yeah. It is it's still my favorite in this I discovered uh the first Bond film I saw was Thunderball, and I saw them in order from then on, but I didn't see this one until 71. And that's around the same time I started reading the novels. And it wasn't until I saw this film and read the novel that I first began to have appreciation of the special world that Fleming created. And by 21st century standards, there's a lot of problems with that world, but it's, it's something you have to take into account if you read the original text today. But, um, it, it 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 was the first time I really sort of felt I kind of got Fleming. And the other thing is you're never going to see a Bond movie like this in terms of the small stakes and whatever. Um, you know, in that sense, this film, in terms of the series, is just kind of special, I think. But, um, but in terms of the technical aspects, 
I'm not going to debate it. I do think John Barry, in addition to the we talked about with Peter Hunt, I think John Barry does a lot mm-hmm. to advance the film. He did not write the title song. That was Lionel Bart. But he still like worked uh, instrumentals of the title song into the score. And so in that sense, it was also the beginning of something special from the music standpoint. So I, I think it's right up there. But, you know, I'm not going to, you know, people's opinions vary. So but that's where I come from. Oh yeah, totally. And I'm I'm still like I I I'm very much in a minority with this. I know that this is sort of one of the. I certainly don't think it's a bad film, but uh, you know, it, it it's one that I've just never quite clicked with as well as a lot of the others. And I'm I'm still waiting for that moment. It happened with Vertigo finally after after years of sort of watching Vertigo like over and over again on like the sixth time watching. I was finally like, oh damn it, right? Yeah, I get this, and I love this now. And I'm still waiting for that moment with uh, from Russia with Love. But yeah, I think Calvin's right though. This this feels like it wants to be a Hitchcock movie rather than it wants to be a James Bond movie. But in some ways, that's kind of why I like it because, in in the kind of the whole over of um, uh, of Bond films, it sort of stands out as being the film that isn't a Bond film in a sense. If you see what I mean, mm. it feels more like a kind of a, a, a Hitchcock film that happens to have Bond in it. Mm. It's also become a what- talking point with Eon when they promote a current movie where, like, actors, oh, I loved From Russia with Love, and it's like. Really? I mean, like I saw it when I was 13 for the first time. So like, OK, I know I like it, but do you really like it or did the publicist give you that as a talk? I, th- I, th- I think that's now been substituted for Casino Royale. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Which I, is a fabulous movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's amazing that everybody who's interviewed says that's the best one. Um, um and it's interesting how uh, it, I think the, the the switch from uh, Majesty's being a, a considered classic as well. There was a there was a period of time where um, From Russia with Love was the kind of the thinking man's favorite Bond film, um, mm. and, and and then it suddenly kind of swapped over, and 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 Majesty's was was basically just uh, universally derided. And then suddenly, Majesty's kind of like knocked, knocked from Russia with Love off that kind of mantle, where people were like, "Oh, it's the it's the one that isn't Goldfinger that I like." <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. I, I, watching it now, one of the reasons why I picked this film w- was was really that chemistry between. Uh, Pedro Amendales and uh, and Connery, I think that they have such a lovely uh, screen chemistry. It's such a tragedy. His death is so sad uh, to know that he is he's so he's terminally ill during it. Um, and it has a certain and and as as Phil mentioned earlier, um, you know, stylistically, Bond is is you know, he's he's looking at his, his, as as Bond as he's ever going to look. I think. Um, it's it's peak Connery, and um, for for that it has a very soft spot in my heart. 
Lisa, how do you feel about it? Oh, I have to follow up the soft spot comment with a not a soft spot comment. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking like on my gender and James Bond course, I can only include so many uh, films. So many are required films and there are a bunch that are suggested. This is a suggested film. It doesn't make the, the cut. And one of the reasons is because for me, it, it, it has elements. And I feel as though, you know, there, there's this desire to try to figure out what a Bond film is going to be. Um, and it has a lot of interesting elements in different places, different spots. So like having like, uh, you know, connection with an ally feels good. Let's have that. Having action sequences. There it is at the end. That's kind of interesting. Let's have more chases. Um, I feel as though there's just like all these little elements peppered throughout. Um, but it doesn't come across, at least to me, as being sort of when I think of like what looks and feels like a Bond film, From Russia with Love doesn't really even like make my top five, top 10, right? Um, and and for that reason, it's 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 why I don't include it on the course because we're looking at how quickly uh, the, the the Bond formula starts to sort of develop and 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 take shape. That being said, I it's not as if I, I pick it to watch, but I know fans love it. And so when I do watch it, whether with you on watch alongs or even on my own, I mean, I always am interested in it because I'm not as familiar with it where I'm like, Ooh, this is interesting. Or, or, Ooh, look at that element. Um, but if you're to ask me like tomorrow, if I'm going to pop in a bond film for fun, this probably won't be it or ever be it. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I just, and I do love Vertigo. So I'm just sort of throwing it out to all of you. <laughs> then I'm sort of like a mixture of, of, of where all of you um, are, are at. And sometimes you have an emotional connection. Sometimes you have an appreciation. Like I hated Casino Royale when it came out. I wrote my probably most cited article because I hated that movie so much. And now you turn it on and I get the warm, tingly feels. And I'm like, the music's great. The characters are great. I had my own sort of evolution into that film and now it's one of my favorites um and sometimes you have those moments and sometimes you want those moments to happen and sometimes they don't happen and it it hasn't happened yet with this film and i highly doubt as somebody who's a big hitchcock fan and i've studied hitchcock Mm. um i it 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 doesn't meet that at all so i feel yeah it's there and and i'm happy that i've learned a lot through watching it with you there's issues with it but there's also some really great stuff with it and i think it's an interesting second follow-up film and i'm glad that they moved to make a third after it Mm. yeah i'm i'm kind of in calvin's camp on this i'm waiting for the epiphany yeah. <laughs> um, you know, 20, I think we talked about on this on the Your Eyes Only watch along 20 years in later, I had my For Your Eyes Only epiphany. Where I was like, this is one of Roger's best films and I really enjoy it. Um, and I think Your Eyes Only has, it, it, it has a lot of elements that they cribbed from, from Russia with Love. I mean, even the ATAC is basically the lector, right? Pretty much. Mm. Um, but I, I'd watch For Your Eyes Only over From Russia with Love, which I know is probably, um, going to set some Twitter flames up, but um, <laughs> I'm, I know yeah, I, 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 I probably I've, would too, James. Yeah. I've, I, I've been to Istanbul. I've been to Venice. I, I know the locations. I just don't feel any connection to them in this film at all. Yeah. yeah. And the culture thing with the gypsy camp, I don't get along with. Um, so there's not really, I don't really have any, um, 
warm and fuzzy hooks into the elements of this film, to be honest, except for riding a train, which I love to do. So um, train, <laughs> train, train travel is vastly underrated, mm. um, especially the old school, old school train travel like it used to be. Um, but apart from that, there's there's not a whole lot in here that I'm that I but personally attached to. By- but have you flown by dirigible, James? <laughs> um, you know, like, I also haven't been drugged in the back of a flower truck, so I don't really. Uh, until you've until you've flown airship. If we do a, a future podcast about John F. Kennedy and Bond, because of we course, should do because you know from Russia with Love was on that top ten list. The name Pierre Salinger will come into play mm-hmm. very prominently. He was. Uh, JFK's press secretary, and he apparently had a lot to do with getting that book on the list. He wanted a popular novel yeah. in addition to all these biographies and history books and all this stuff. And the world was never quite the same after that. So, but that do, that deserves a deeper examination at another time. Where were you yes. when Kennedy read from Russia with Love? <laughs> I was. Uh, they're not That's all going to work. Well, when that when that uh, list came out, I was uh, three or four years old, so I was actually alive. I can't say I read that list at the time, but, uh, oh, but I, that, that would have been that would have been a neat touch for No Time to Die for Bond's bookshelf would have been to have JFK's book list well, on the pile, wouldn't it? That, that would have been uh, nice. The man with the golden gun that Bond is carrying around a copy of JFK's Profile and Courage. Mm. So that was kind of Fleming's sort of salute to Kennedy because he would have written mm. that, of course, after the assassination. So thanks, JFK, for boosting my sales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Shall we uh, do selections for next week? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so ben, as you finally got one, I think you should get two votes after you got a Connery over the line, but the rules say that you have to stick – the, the rules say that you have to sit this one out. Oh, um, thank fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he, got, he got Connery over the line after I took my Thunderball nomination back because I didn't want to waste it because I knew there would be a split vote. Split vote. Mm. Yeah. Very, very and, and by the way, Bill. We'll we get should point eventually. out that <laughs> Russia only beat Octopussy by seven votes. Right. right. That was why my move you know, helped me. We, we would have been watching Octopussy had I not taken – my Thunderball yes. nomination. <laughs> um, I, 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 should also, I should also point out that uh, although this was my nomination, I actually voted for Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, in, in most democracies, we'd have been in a recount situation last week. But there we go. I, I think I might have been the only one that voted for From Russia With Love, and I'm probably the one who likes it the least. <laughs> <laughs> There is a there is an element of sadism to our Twitter vote results. Yeah. I think go for it. Um, let's go with tomorrow never dies. I want to see Michelle Yeoh kick some butt. All right. Yeah. Bill and Calvin, that's it's up to you guys. You go, Calvin. Oh, I was gonna go for the world is not enough, but I don't want to split the Brosnan vote now. Um, um, okay, I am going to go for. Um, oof. Okay. Uh, Is this a tactical throwaway vote, Calvin? No, 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 
no. I, I know that there are several that Hello, I still. David Inspector. Well, actually, I, I was maybe maybe gonna go for the man with the golden gun, but I I I want to save that until we you know are, are certain that David can join one of these. Um, right. So yeah, I am... who, who who wants to miss out on two hours of pillaring David? <laughs> <laughs> I think the man with the golden gun will make for an excellent conversation someday. But for right now, I'm going to go for you only live twice. All right. Interesting. All right, I'll go with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. All right. Mm. Which means it won't win, but... I honestly misheard what you said, and I thought you said Thunderpants. What I would like to nominate is Moonraker 66, a.k.a. Um, Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die. But no, I will nominate Honor Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> I think Thunderpants is the uh, is the fourth Austin Powers movie that's been in development, oh, development hell for 10 years. <laughs> Oh, 15, I think, but you know. Are we, ever, are we ever going to get to um, Never Say Never Again and Spoof Casino Royale? It, like, are we, is that just like if we, you know, overflow they're if this the, whole. They're, they're, off the, they're off the cards, they're off the table. Until we exhaust, I think, until we exhaust the official series. Uh, uh, um, okay. I nominate we'll... Stormbreaker. I Royale is a. Vote, but, and mm. we actually, actually was voted on, but uh, yeah, I was I was told not to do sixty-seven casino. So well, that was back in the lawless more. time. That's right. We were still establishing the rules of our new democracy. At that I point. know, right? <laughs> and if, if we're expanding it, throwing out Austin Powers as being, I know it's not James Bond, but it's based on it. <laughs> uh, if we're doing that, we're going to have James Bond Junior. Watch alongs. Oh my yes. gosh! Yes. Uh, I told my Bond class. The students are like, what are we watching? And I'm like, this is everything. <laughs> I love that you show that. Oh, we, 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 can't, we can't go there because we would then get into other Ian Fleming vaguely related properties. Yeah. Not, we can't have like, like, what would they like be? The, like, like the eight quote, the eight quote movies, unquote, of the man from uncle. We don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. What's that? What's that show? It's about um, one of the states of America. It's not mainland America. uh, Help me out here, Bill. One of them. You have to give me a little bit more to go on here. Dallas. No, it's uh, not state. It's like it's it's. Okay. Oh, five zero. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> That's my fault. Uh, every episode of the Virginian. No, no, no. With Hawaii Five Five O, even if you exclude Jack Lord, there's still a dozen episodes that have James Bond connections. There's a Bob Holness radio play. Uh, for, yeah, no, let's not even go to we, radio plays right now. We just, could do you know. that. Well, yeah, the thing is, you can't, you can't then do of a radio play. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, you, can't, you can't do a watch along to a radio play. You just have to have like silence and go. Um, <laughs> I like this bit. All right, before I break our klaxon, I think we should call it and um, see you again next week. Great hearing everyone again. Yeah. Bye. It was lovely. Bye. Bye.